You know, Rob, one of the more Academy Award winning actors who, you know, has kind of gone through different shifts in his career is Nicolas Cage. I love <laughs> Nick Cage. Whether Me he's too. starring opposite Sean Connery in The Rock, whether he is Big Daddy, whether he's in his Oscar winning roles, doesn't matter. I love Nick Cage. He's done a lot of projects in the last few years that are obviously strictly paycheck jobs, which is perfectly fine. But now news has come out that Nicolas Cage on January 5th is launching a new series on Netflix called The History of Swear Words. And basically, it's going to be Nicolas Cage uh, talking about where different swear words have come from. And he's going to have guests like Nick Offerman, Sarah Silverman are going to be guests on it. And there's going to be six episodes, Rob. Six episodes. And the names of each of the episodes are, and uh, this next part is not going to be family friendly. By the way, I'm seeing everybody sending in those super chat stickers for the, our adoptive family. Thank you so much to everybody who's doing that. Anyway, uh, the names of the episodes are The Jedi. Nope, that's that's a different show. The names of the episodes are Fuck, <laughs> Shit, Bitch, Dick, Pussy, and Damn. Those are the six episodes of the History of Swear Words debuting once again on Netflix on January 5th. Now, of course, this is not going to be Nicolas Cage's first foyer into television. He's also <clears> got that, uh, what's it called? Tiger King? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Something? he's doing that. He's doing that. He's got that coming up. So I and personally he's making a movie where he's playing himself. Yes, that's right. Yeah, a kind of a fictionalized version of himself that he's doing. Yeah. I think this all sounds really cool. Anyway, Rob, uh, you heard about this Nick Cage show, The History of Swear Words. What do you think? You looking forward to this? Who wouldn't be? <laughs> I mean, John, I, I can't think of a more, uh, I don't know if it's a half an hour long or however long it is, but it, it shoots right to the top, number one with a bullet for me, because if there's one thing I want to bring the new year in with, it's Nicolas Cage swearing and telling me where bad words came from. I think kids of all ages should tune in. I can't wait to like, you know, eight or nine-year-olds start swearing up a storm in their household saying, well, mom, I mean, Nicolas Cage taught me the etymology of the word fuck. Why can't I say it? <laughs> I mean, I think I, there's nothing better to begin 2021 than with this show. That's how I think about it. Yep. It, it yeah. is. I mean, and you listen, and it just fits. If you had told me, hey, John, Netflix is going to launch a show on just January 5th called The History of Swear Words. And you list yeah. 10 potential people hosting it. If Nick Cage was one of those potentials, I would have said, oh, he's he's hosting it. This will be his for sure. Him oh, or yeah. Polly Shore, one of the two. But I think this sounds great. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? I think it's fantastic. Are you looking forward to it? Are you going to check it out? There is a trailer online for it, by the way, right now. You can go and check that out. Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics today. Now, how do we select our main topics here on the John Campus Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you guys come across a topic or a story that you think should be a main topic here on the John Campus Show, just head on over 24-7 to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe... Just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Matthias Malinger. Matthias Malinger writes, hello, John and company. 
One of my favorite movies of all time is Edge of Tomorrow, and uh, the one that had Tom Cruise in it. It's a shame that we haven't had a sequel yet, and I've started to doubt we'll ever get one. But I just saw Emily Blunt say that a script is done and we should be getting one. What do you think about her statement? And when do you think we will finally get that sequel? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Matthias. And listen, you're not kidding. Edge of Tomorrow is one of the poster children. That and John Carter of Mars are the two poster children movies that are fabulous movies that were deep sixed by horrible marketing campaigns. Like the Edge of Tomorrow marketing campaign is honestly top five worst marketing campaign of all time. <laughs> and then, so a lot of us were, first of all, not tons of people. It didn't have a big opening couple of weeks. It gradually caught on with word of mouth, which is great. But that movie deserved to have a huge opening and it simply didn't get it because it looked like crap. And then a lot of us who went to go see it were like, oh my God, this was really good. It's excellent. That movie is fantastic. Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it has left a lot of us wondering, where the hell's the sequel? Why are they not done one? It did eventually make a little bit of money, but the word of mouth was incredibly positive. You created a great universe and a great world that was ripe for more storytelling. Where has it been? Mostly it's been scheduling conflicts. Well, now Emily Blunt has come out and given people some hope that we could maybe get one sooner than we think. This is what she said in an interview. It comes to us from Joe Blow. Yes, Emily Blunt says. The script is really promising and really, really cool. I just don't know when everything's going to sort of align. You know what I mean? Between all of our schedules, it would just have to be the right time. But there is something in the works for sure. That's a great idea. A great idea. And this, of course, comes to us from Emily Blunt, which is uh, very exciting to hear. Rob, one of the things that they've been saying for a long time that has been holding this up, I remember they tried to get Edge of Tomorrow 2 up and running a few years ago, Tom Cruise, and I, I forget the name of the director, though I think it's the same director who did- uh, Doug, Doug uh, Lyman. Doug Lyman, yeah, the same one who did uh, Jumper. So Doug Lyman, Tom Cruise got a hold of Emily Blunt a couple of years ago, say, hey, we're ready to go. You ready to go? And she goes, guys, I just signed up to do Mary Poppins, which I wish she never had because that I was excited about that. That movie turned out to be terrible. But- so they're always saying it's been scheduling, and now she's saying that the schedule may finally be aligning, that maybe now they got this cool script, they're, they'll be able to work something out soon enough. And listen, on the one hand, I get it. Tom Cruise is in demand, and he's busy. Doug Lyman is a director. You know, a, an actor will work on a movie for about four months. A director will work on a movie for like two years. So that's tricky. Emily Blunt is highly in demand. So I get it. She's busy. But... At some point, you go, you know, you guys aren't employees at Walmart. You guys have some say in your schedule. If you really want to make Edge of Tomorrow 2, you can find a way to make this happen. You are highly powerful people in this business. The studio wants to make it. You say you want to make it. Let's, let's get going here. If you know you want to make this movie, then don't take three other films that are coming up. Maybe hold off on some, t I don't know. But listen, this is at least good sounding news. I desperately want to see another film in this franchise. Rob, you heard about this. Number one, are you interested in a sequel? And number two, when do you think we'll finally get around to getting this thing done? Well, one, I, 
I really like this movie. Would it, would it surprise you to know that I own the Japanese steelbook that is uh, under the original title of All You Need Is Kill? A title they should have kept, by the way. I should have kept it. It's based on a Japanese manga. I mean, that was the actual name of the thing. I don't know why you would lose that title to Edge of Tomorrow, which everyone, everyone knows is just it's a failed soap opera that was aired in the 70s. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't, but it sounds like it. Yes, and it does. I, I, I love this movie. I, I thought it was, you know what I don't understand, John? This movie is the ultimate gamer movie. It's a video game. You die, you learn something, you move forward, you die again, you learn something. And why they didn't market it that way uh, to the, I mean, the whole world loves video games now. And that I, I thought it was the most brilliant premise ever. And uh, it's such a well-made film and nobody Nobody went to see it. At least not in its opening couple of weeks. It took a while right. for word of mouth to get because it is intense, fantastic action. Action. I don't like time travel. I think it's a poor man's, lazy man's thing to use in movies. But this was one of the most creative, fun yep. ways of utilizing that whole motif. And it is at its core a fun action film with some great sci-fi, right? But if you wildly remember, entertaining. This but, movie is wildly entertaining. They made the trailers look and sound like this was some deep Philip K. Dick um, psychedelic. Remember that that song that played in the trailer? Yeah. This is not the end. Yeah. It's like, what the? What it, what? it is so bad. It's so bad. And everybody just looked at it and said, yeah, pass. And then they started hearing word of mouth that it's so great. And thankfully they did. But I want to see this, guys. What do you think? about Emily Blunt's comments here. To me, they give me some hope. If they got a script done, she's still saying, yes, we've got a great idea. We'll get this aligned. I still think it's probably a few years away at this point, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Are you looking forward to this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... I-Man, and I-Man writes, Hi, John and Rob. Tomorrow is the day. It is the day, as a matter of fact. It's a very important day. Tomorrow is the day for the much-anticipated Disney's Investors Day meeting. According to Deadline, the studio will announce new projects from Marvel, Lucasfilm, and Pixar. Also, it's certain they will announce moving a few big movies to Disney+. Plus. So what do you think, John? Any predictions? Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in, Iman. We have been saying for a while, you know, I first talked about this a number of weeks ago when uh, I told you that I got informed that Disney Plus was going to be taking Black Widow instead of doing theatrical and it would be announced on the December 10th investors meeting. Now, this is weeks ago we talked about this. Since then, uh, major outlets have reported that at this investors meeting, there are going to be a couple of other things happening. Number one, they're going to be announcing that Cruella, the Emma Stone uh, 101 Dalmatian spinoff movie, is going to forego theaters and go straight to Disney+, Plus, uh, as well as a couple of others. Now, they didn't mention Black Widow. I still I still expect that they will announce tomorrow, Rob, that Black Widow is going straight to Disney+. Plus. I think that movie is holding up the timing of other shows, and they just need to get it out there. But I don't know that for a fact. I, I don't know that for a fact. I'm just simply saying that's what I believe. So it does raise the question about what are we going to see tomorrow? Well, there's a few things we know. Uh, number one, again, the Cruella thing is going to be moving. What were some of the other ones, Rob, that they said was going to be moving? There was um, 
um, yeah, I don't remember. Exactly. I, I can't well, remember. Soul, oh, Pinocchio. It, Tom Tom Hanks's Pinocchio. Soul isn't Soul moving? Well, Soul. So they announced that one a long time ago. Soul comes out on Christmas Day, so that one's already done. Uh, but Tom Hanks Pinocchio is another one that they're going to do. I suspect they are going to announce a date for uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. I think Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to get an official date. I think the same is going to be true of Cassian Andor. I think yep. we're going to find out more about that new show that they announced that they brought on the the one female director and they they've got this is going to take a different in a different part of the universe. They said I think we're going to get a lot more information about that. And I think we're going to get our actual news. Again, I can't verify this. This is just me making a prediction. I think we're going to get news tomorrow of the next Star Wars movie. I think tomorrow we will get actual news of the next Star Wars movie. You think it'll be Taika Waititi's movie? I think it'll be Taika Waititi's movie. Yeah, I think that one's been on the books for a long time. I think they'll finally get moving on that. You know, now that Taika is getting closer with uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, we know that that's what he's going to work on next. As soon as he's wrapped on Thor, Love and Thunder, he's transitioning into the next Star Wars movie. So I think it'll be that one. It could be something else. Hell, they could announce a new trilogy of films. I, I, what I don't think we're going to hear tomorrow, Rob, I don't think we're going to hear anything about Ryan Johnson's trilogy, although they, the official word is that that's still happening. But I, you know, I've said for about six months now, I don't believe that's happening at all, but maybe we'll find out tomorrow for sure. One way or the other, we will see. I do expect this though, Rob, because I want to ask you about what you're expecting and what you're predicting we're going to hear tomorrow. But, I, but I did want to throw this one thing out there in the midst of Disney announcing that at very minimum, Cruella, Pinocchio, I suspect Black Widow, and maybe a couple of others getting moved directly to Disney Plus. I suspect that Warner Bro or that uh, Disney will not get the same amount of professional backlash that Warner Brothers was on the receiving end of yesterday. Uh, having uh, the CAA representatives are saying that amongst all the agencies, they are now referring to Warner Bros as former bros uh, is what the nickname for Warner Brothers is now amongst all the Hollywood agencies. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and of course, we all know, you know, uh, Chris Evans or Chris Evans, uh, Chris Christopher Nolan went at uh, Warner Brothers with both barrels yesterday. We're hearing Denis Villeneuve is pissed off. We're hearing James Gunn is pissed off. Everybody's mad. So why isn't Disney going to get that same type of backlash? I'll tell you why they're not going to get the same type of backlash. Because I believe Disney will have done what I did assume Warner Brothers had done. When this news first came out, Rob, I said on this show, I just assumed that Warner Brothers had done all their due diligence, that they had made all the phone calls, that they yeah. had talked to all the, the invested parties, that they had worked everything out behind the scenes first, and then they announced. Turned out I was dead wrong about that. They didn't talk to nobody. They just came out and announced it and left all the, the filmmakers and the agencies and the talent going, what the F are you talking about? Disney doesn't make that mistake. I think whatever they announce tomorrow about whatever is staying theatrical, whatever is being pulled from theatrical, whatever, I guarantee you that Alan Horn months ago had sit down, either Zoom call or right on the phone conversations with the people involved so that when these announcements are made tomorrow, Rob, It'll catch a lot of the audience by surprise, but 
But I guarantee you it's not going to catch any of the invested parties by surprise. And everybody will already be on board. And that's why I think we're not going to hear any backlash. So as far as predictions go, I think a new Star Wars movie, I think some shoring up on some official news about Cassian Andor, Obi-Wan, and probably this new female-led uh, Star Wars show that's going to be taking place in a different universe, per se. That'll be interesting to see. Probably the next Pixar project. Will also get announced and we'll get an, a better idea, whether it's because of Black Widow being moved to Disney Plus, we're going to get a better idea about how all the MCU content is going to start to settle at this point because a lot's been up in the air. And maybe a few other little surprises. Rob, let me ask you this. What are you expecting to hear news coming out of this Disney investor meeting tomorrow? And do you suspect we could get any backlash for it? First of all, I just want to know one thing. I want to know when the Moonlight Moon Knight show starts shooting, when the Moon Knight show is debuting. I want to know all the villains in Moon Knight. I want to know what costume he's going to wear. I want – other than that, um, <clears throat> no, I, I think, look, uh, this year has been rough on everybody. And if they're going to turn this into a celebration of, of a D23 sort of that never happened, um, we – I think we're going to get a lot of information. I think that being that theaters are closed and last year Disney made billions and billions of dollars. They want to assure that their investors that 2021 it's going to be the best yet. So I think we are going to hear about all the Star Wars shows. Cassie and Andor started shooting. We're going to know about Obi-Wan. We're going to definitely know about the dates. They are going to announce a new Star Wars movie. I think we're probably going to find out more obviously about the MCU both the series, I mean, Hawkeye, we've got now pictures of Hawkeye with his daughter. We know what's going on there, that shooting. I bet we're going to find out more about this Spider-Man movie. We're going to get confirmation about what's really going on okay you, I mean, you, you 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 stole my thunder there because you're right that was gonna be my one last thing we we're gonna talk about spider-man but yeah no please i think you're absolutely right please continue yeah i mean well i mean they have to and i i think in a way they've been leaking this information they're kind of teeing it up so they can you know make this big announcement but also uh i i just think everything like you just said we're, we're gonna be getting a and i really do think they're gonna announce black widows moving to uh disney plus because I think of all the, the films, you know, the MCU has done so well for them. And this is, they just need to, they need to jumpstart excitement. Um, they've got, they did so well with Disney Plus. If they start, I mean, can you imagine? They've already got the Mandalorian. It's got two episodes left. What better way than to keep that momentum going than to announce Black Widow is going to go to Disney Plus probably in the first quarter of the year, I would imagine. Um and uh, I think, you know, other than that, I think they're just going to make everybody excited and, and get them all excited for all the goodness they've already got. I mean, it's not like they don't have this. I don't think we're going to get any announcement of things that we don't know about. Like, I don't think they're going to come out of left field and go, tell us something that we don't know. I think we're going to get confirmation on all the things that we've been discussing. I, I, I suspect at least one thing's going to surprise us. I, I have a feeling at least one big thing's going to come out and surprise us out of this investors meeting. But going back to the Black Widow thing, though, I think one of the other things that has really made it important, because right now, even though we've now got the vaccine, our, our first people have actually taken the vaccine now. We were actually It's actually starting to roll out. The reality is right now, they still don't know theoretically when the theaters can actually be up and running at full capacity again. Hopefully, May or June, but it could be much longer than that, right? They just don't know, right? Right. We found out 
that uh, Pew is going to be in Black Widow, or, or she's well, obviously she's in Black Widow. She's playing Black Widow's sister in Black Widow. But we found out she's going to be in the Hawkeye show, and I believe she's popping up. Oh, they said another one that she's probably going to be popping up in. And I can't remember which one that is. That just, to me, reemphasizes the urgency because there's been a lot of talk. Oh, yeah, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. They're saying she pops up in Falcon and Winter Soldier as well, which means we know they have been delaying Falcon and Winter Soldier because of the uh, uh, because of Black Widow, assuming that there's something about Black Widow that makes it vital that we see it first before we see Falcon and Winter Soldier. And now Hawkeye is going into production and they're shooting. They need Black Widow out there. And right now they don't know when they could put it in theaters. So I think that's why it puts a bigger importance on them to move Black Widow than say any of their other projects. I don't think any of their other projects are going to carry that kind of burden that Black Widow is, but I feel like they need Black Widow out there. So Rob, over under 65%, over under 65% that tomorrow we find out Black Widow is indeed going to Disney Plus. Over. Yeah, I'm going to take the over, too. I'm not going to say 100%. Obviously, we don't know, but I'm going to take the over on that, too. And, and you know, they've already – what's interesting is is Warner Brothers has already set the table. So by Disney doing this, it's not going to be – people aren't going to be like, oh, my God, how can you do that? I mean, Warner Brothers has already taken the brunt. And I think in the earnings call, they're going to say, look, this is, this is one of the things that we're going to have to uh, adjust to. And the fact that Disney Plus is as successful in its first year – as it was, and and the projections that they have, I, I think they're going to get a big bump from Black Widow. I think no one's going to say anything uh, uh, bad about doing that. And I think in a way, it's probably going to generate a lot of goodwill. Yeah, and here's the other thing too um, that we got to keep in mind. I think also in this announcement, there's going to be a couple of specific movies mentioned that are going to be staying theatrical. Whether it's uh, Eternals or whether it's Shang-Chi, I think they're going to try to appeal to everybody in this investor's call. They're going to, I think it's going to be Blackwood is moving, but they're also going to try to extend a lifeline to theaters and some sort of show of support saying, but this one and this one are still going to be theatrical. So there's, I think there's going to be a whole bunch there. Question is guys for you. What do you think we're going to hear out of coming out of this Disney investors call meeting tomorrow? Do you think we're going to hear some big earth shattering stuff? Do you think it's going to be relatively minor? And what kind of feedback do you think they're going to get for whatever these moves are? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our third and main topic today. And our third and final topic today gets submitted to us by Clubber T. Lang, still recovering from that defeat at the hands of Rocky Balboa and Rocky Three. And Clubber T. Lang writes, with the return of Alfred Molina and Jamie Foxx, two villains from different Spidey franchises, and the expected return of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and their respective love interests, Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, plus Doctor Strange, can we now finally say it? Are we going to see a live action Spider-Verse? And do you think this will be handled in a gimmicky way like Arrowverse or perfectly like Into the Spider-Verse? Thanks and love the documentary. Oh, thank you so much for that, Clubber. And thanks for checking out the documentary. So, yeah, listen, this has been crazy. Yesterday, of course, we found out while we were in the final third of the show 
news broke on the Hollywood Reporter that Alfred Molina, who played one of the greatest on-screen villains in comic book movie history, Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, a comic book movie that for a number of years was kind of considered to be the best comic book movie ever up to a point, uh, was indeed going to be coming back to reprising his role as Doc Ock. Now, what I said on the show yesterday was like, well, then it's just a matter of time until we find out Andrew Garfield and uh, Tobey Maguire coming back. Because look, now we've got Jamie Foxx, who represents the Andrew Garfield era of Spider-Man. Now we've got Alfred Molina, who represents the Tobey Maguire era of Spider-Man. And we already know we got Tom Holland, who represents the Tom Holland era of Spider-Man. It is now probably just a matter of time until we get it all confirmed that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are this. Now, one of the reasons this is so remarkable is because, you know, for somebody like me, for a long time, and we, the last eight months have changed a lot of things, but for a long time, I would have thought something like this would be a ridiculous idea. It'll never happen. And then a couple of months ago, uh, the topic kind of came up again a few months ago. And, you know, about whether or not we will actually see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire showing up. And this is what I said a few months ago uh, here on the John Campy show about that. Check this out. I have my doubts and I have my reservations, but having doubts and having reservations is a far cry from that other world we lived in not long ago where I would have thought it was preposterous to believe that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire would be preposterous. Like completely unthinkable, completely unbelievable, completely preposterous to today where it's just, well, I have my doubts and I do. I have my doubts that this is true, but you can't deny because listen, I'll tell you straight up. I find it. Let's say neither were true right now. If neither were true right now, I would tell you that I personally believe that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire coming back for Spider-Man 3 is more believable than Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro. Like if we had heard no news about either of these things and none of these things, forget everything we've heard about either of those stories for the last couple of weeks. Take that all away. If you were just to come to me cold right now and say, which is more believable to you, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire back in Spider-Man or Jamie Foxx as Electro? I would say, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> Maguire and Garfield is far more likely. And yet here we are. Fox is back as Electro. So I have my doubts. If I had to bet $5 on it, I would bet it's not happening, but I wouldn't bet $10 because it is far more feasible today to be real than it ever was. And to me, the only thing, the only thing to me that this story about the Sony rep talking to entertainment tonight and saying it's debunked the story, the only thing this really told me was that as of right now, Sony is not saying it's true. As of right now. Maybe they could. That was uh, a few months ago. And obviously, here we are. Now, I finished that show. Now, remember, the first reports about Garfield and, uh, and McGuire coming back for a next Spider-Man actually first surfaced probably about nine or ten months ago. 
I mean, there was fan theorizing long before that, but the first kind of real rumblings was about nine or two months ago. And, and at that time, this is kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm like, pshaw, pshaw, Rob, give me a break. But then a few months later, as we got into the pandemic and all sorts of craziness started to happen, and we and Jamie Foxx is coming back as electoral kind of even I had to start going, you know what? It's well, Garfield and McGuire coming back is more believable than Jamie Foxx coming back. And Jamie Foxx is back. And now here we are. So, Rob, this is interesting. At the conclusion of my show yesterday, um, at, this happens to me sometimes. I have certain people that watch this show. And at the conclusion of my show yesterday, I had a text message waiting for me from a particular somebody who said, oh, yeah, it's it's they're, they're in it. Like, And this was from somebody who would be relatively in the know. I, I don't know if I 100% take it, but they're like, I had this text message waiting for me saying, oh, yeah, they're they're in it. Um, we have heard stories, Rob, of people who are on set of the movie saying, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they've been here. Uh, they're, they're on the set. So it looks like, but it should be important to point out here, Rob, and this is an important caution for all of us. While there's a lot of stuff around us to support this at Andrew Garfield and mcguire back we do need to take it with a grain of salt for now that sony has not confirmed this neither sony nor disney as of right now have officially confirmed this let's be very clear about that it's coming from a lot of various places that i trust like a lot of places that i trust but as of right now it's important for us to keep in mind it's not confirmed one of the things being whispered though and, and talked about is if they are in it what kind of role will they have? Because, Rob, there's a story going around right now. Uh, that also, that like McGuire signed or sorry, that Garfield is signed on, but McGuire is still kind of in negotiations. You know, there's there's that sort of stuff has been going on. OK, let's let's step for a second into the campy classroom just for a second here. So what are the Garfield and, and McGuire possibilities? Uh, possibility number one. Not in it at all. I mean, that, that's that's still one of the possibilities. I think this is, un, at this point, it looks like that's unlikely. But we have to, until Sony and, and Disney come out and officially say something, number one, they're not in it at all. Number two, small roles. Uh, this is this is feasible. Listen, if this the word going around right now that McGuire hasn't officially signed on yet and the movie's already started shooting, this to me sounds ridiculous. Because if you have Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man in your script, you don't start shooting a movie if you don't know Tobey Maguire is going to be in it. Right. Like, that's that's just ridiculous. That is utterly ridiculous. It's like them starting to shoot Matrix 4 and they still haven't figured out if Keanu Reeves is coming back or not. You mean Neo's not in the script? Oh, no. Neo's in the entire script. But you haven't signed Keanu Reeves yet. No. Nope, uh, well, I mean, that's just ridiculous to me. So it is possible that maybe they're in the script and they're just in it in very, very small roles. Right. The other one is their main characters. I don't I I, I can't I don't buy that. They're going to be main characters. There's just for, for them to be main characters just means they would have had to have been on set far too much for it to have been able to be kept even remotely secret because this movie's been shooting for a while already. So it's possible, though, that their main characters more likely a small roles. My guess here is the small roles part that they're going to pop up for a few scenes. It's going to be interconnected in some sort of way. Just like I don't think Jamie Foxx is going to be like the main villain in this thing. Just like I don't think um, 
Uh, I don't think Alfred Molina is going to be in 45 minutes of the movie, um, all that sort of things. I do think it's going to be uh, smaller doses, but we'll see. Uh, number one could still be a possibility. Maybe they're not in it at all. So that brings up then the question, is this a good idea at all? Because Clever Lang brought up a, a great illustration to the point. This can go one of two ways. It can go Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which was great. Or it could go the CW Crisis on Infinite Earth, Earth, which was a hot mess and completely stupid. CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths took all these as like, Tom Welling is back. Yeah, but it was for a pointless scene that had nothing to do with the overall story, really. And it was just, hi, everybody. I'm Tom Welling. Remember me? I used to be Superman. And then he was gone. And while I love Tom Ellis's uh, Lucifer, it's one of my favorite shows on TV. And while it was extremely exciting to see that him popping up, it ultimately was pointless. It's like, hi, everybody. I'm Tom Ellis from TV's Lucifer. Recognize me? Okay, bye. And, and then he was gone. Uh, even the the Ezra, you know, woman choker Miller, he he popped up, which is really cool. I mean, amazing seeing the two flashes there. But ultimately, it didn't impact the story at all. It was just, hey, everybody, I'm Ezra Miller. Remember me? I played uh, I played Flash in Justice League. Remember that? Okay, bye. So then you've got the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse approach, Rob, which was let's make each of these characters important. Let's have their presence be a part of the overall story. Let's actually give them some meaningful things to do in the story itself. Each one of them imparts some sort of wisdom to the young aspiring Spider-Man and Miles Morales. You know, they each had their role to play and they were each important to the story. My fear, and it's just a fear, my fear is that it's going to go the CW route. It's like, hey, you know what the kiddies will love? Put Tobey Maguire back in it and, and put, you know, put Garfield. What are they going to do? Who cares? People just get excited that they're there. That's my fear. And it turns out as schlocky and sticky and dumb like CW's crisis event was. <laughs> but this is Kevin Feige. Um, he's never failed us yet. At least not on any grand scale like this would be. I got to believe if he's going to do it, and obviously Sony is, is spearheading this as well. I got to believe if Kevin Feige agrees to it, he's got to believe he's got something in mind that's going to make this click and make this work. Um, I, I, it, it doesn't make me think that they're going to be big major characters in it, but their presence will have meaning to the film. So I don't know, Rob, let, let me throw it over to you. Let's start with the most basic question. Sony, Marvel have not confirmed that these two guys are in it yet, although a lot of other places have, but the, the two more important ones haven't. So the most basic question is, do you think when we see Spider-Man 3, we're going to see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in it? And then number two, how do you think they're going to be used? How, how do you see Kevin Feige using them if they are indeed in it? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, I keep going back to Kevin Feige's love of Star Trek, to be honest. And the final episode of The Next Generation, of which he adores, all good things, has three different enterprises in three different time frames having to come together to solve, well, a, a galaxy-ending problem, a universe-ending problem. And you kind of see these three different enterprises in three different time periods. I'll bet you that it's something along those lines. 
that there is some kind of whatever this multiverse of madness is. And I do believe that whatever's going on plays into the Doctor Strange film and has something to do with WandaVision. That these three Spider-Men must team up to put a cork in whatever rip in the space-time continuum there is. And I think as a as a function of whatever this rip is, that's where you're going to see these villains escape. By the way, John, I got one for you. Oh. Over or under 50%, Venom makes an appearance in this movie. It's going to go there a little bit later. Uh, damn, you had to put it right at 50, huh? <laughs> I let, Let's put it this way. Six months ago, I would say 10%. Today, and I think I did say 10% at some point like six months ago. Today, I'll take under 50, but I'm up to around the 35, 40% well, mark today. You, you, so yeah. You know, if you, there's three villains, right? I mean, there's three, there's three Spider-Man. There's I think that we have not seen Venom in a Spider-Man movie. Yes, we and have. What, may, maybe, well. Tougher Grace. Yeah. Uh, okay, I know we want to forget about that movie, Rob. We don't say we haven't seen Venom in a, a Spider-Man movie. The Tom Hardy iteration of the character. Th this is true. Pardon me. I stand corrected. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, there's also a possibility maybe Morbius, you know, because both of these movies were supposed to be out already. Yep. So. Yes, they are. The, the idea and all, you know, I, I would imagine that they're not going to play big parts but I'll bet we'll see like significant scenes. It's not going to be like a walk-on. We're going to see these three Spider-Men interacting, and they're going to have to do something collectively to solve a problem. And each one is going to play a part. And I think the same is true of whatever villains are in the movie. They're going to be doing something. So it's not like they're going to swing on by. We're going to see significant action scenes involving Electro and Doc Ock. They're probably – I mean I would imagine this comes as a result of some – conflagration that happens you know after act two or it's leading up to a point where the third act of the movie is where everything gets insane i don't think we're going to have three spider-men running around the entire movie and interacting i think that reality is going to tear open and and i think it's like i've always thought that the the, the homecoming and then far from home the next movie is going to have home in the title and it's going to be about coming back and being your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man protecting the neighborhood and his neighborhood is going to be the epicenter of whatever this reality is that tears open. So literally instead of being in Europe or all of downtown New York, it's his neighborhood that is going to be destroyed or maybe the world will be consumed by it, but the epicenter is going to be in his friendly neighborhood. And, and it's going to be this – that's what I think is going to happen. And 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 by the end, he will have literally saved the, his neighborhood. He's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. That's what's going to happen, something along those lines. Whatever reality has to be protected in his little neck of the woods is going to be the epicenter of that. And that's what I think is going to happen. And when, when reality is restored, if it is restored – uh, he will he will be uh, in exalted status and he will truly be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which he's going to say at some point in the movie. But that's what I think is going to happen. Will he pull a Captain America and say, I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Will, will he do it like that? That's no. what, OK. Let's let's go, though, around to, to what you're talking about a second ago, which is going to be kind of part three of this conversation, which is Venom and Morbius. 
have right. are kind of like elephants in the room at this point. Like we've talked in months past about the implications and the possibilities and maybe the likelihoods of seeing, you know, Tom, uh, Tom Hardy's venom pop up in there. Of course, that would be your fourth hero figure. Cause of course in the movies here, he's a protagonist as opposed right. to an antagonist. So that plays into it, but you raise a really important point, Rob, which is venom and Morbius were supposed to have been in theaters already. Yep. So, so the Eternals. And yeah, and so was the Eternals at that point. But I, I, Eternals feels more like it's going to be on its own, its own sort of thing. So I feel like them moving that. But, but they're really. I think there was a reason why these movies were going to be theatrical before Spider Man Three. And you know, I loved Venom. I, I, un, I am an unashamed huge fan of the Venom movie. I had a really good time with it. The Morbius trailer to me was way better than I thought it had any business being. I really enjoyed the trailer a lot. And so I've been looking forward to this stuff. Now, Rob, you posed the question to me, but let me throw it back at you here. Uh, over, under, let, let me even set it, make it a little tougher for you. Let me say over, under 55%. What are the chances we see either, not both, but either Morbius or Venom in uh, in, in this upcoming Spider-Man movie? Oh, I'm going to go over 25%. No, 55. I said 55. Oh, oh 55. Even I would go over 25. I go over 25 Ooh, as well. 55, 55. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. For Venom, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go okay. over 55, John. I'm going to go over 55. I don't think Morbius, but I'm going to go over 55 for Venom. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to. I'm I'm still going to take the under, but it's hard to it's hard to go against it too much. I mean, there there are other movie pundits who shall remain nameless today, who are reporting that uh, Charlie Cox is going to show up as a lawyer. As Matt Murdock, yeah, I, in this movie, you, you know, my, you know, my thing about that, none—that's coming from one source. That is an unproven source, and if no, it's no, real, there's somebody who's confirming it. That, are, that something, has been, okay, well, yeah. we'll see, we'll see, because you know my attitude, right? My attitude is, if it's real, the real news sites will catch, will will report yes. it as well. So if it's real, because that's the thing that we often have around here is that like every day there's literally fifty to a hundred of these little buzz stories and 99.9% of them end up to be completely fake, but some of them are about popular subjects. So people get really excited about them and then they turn out to go nowhere. But when there's a real one at some point in the coming days, one of the real sites, uh, Hollywood reporter variety deadline will pick up on it. And at that point, it's worth talking about at Can that point. Say, it's worth talking about. Doesn't it suck that we know this? Wouldn't you rather, John, go into this movie <laughs> and not know any of this? Like this thirst for information, to me, I'm just thinking, I keep, I can't help myself. I stayed relatively spoiler-free for both Infinity War and Endgame. And, and that was the first time I'd consciously done that in a long, long time. And I was all the better for it. I had so much fun with the discovery of the, those movies as they went along. If all of this is true, I really wish that we didn't know about it and I could go in cold. I mean, but sure. But that happens all the time with, with tons of movies, right? Like we find out so-and-so is going to play so-and-so in a movie and then it's all that. But it's part of the reality of the world we live in. Like there used to be a day where that could happen. But we live in a world where every single one of us, let's pretend this is a phone, every single one of us walk around with a global audiovisual communications device. I know. And um, I wish I, I mean, didn't. 
The fact that they were able to keep JK relatively quiet for his appearance at the end of Spider-Man uh, Home or Far From Home. Right. But then again, that was a tiny little thing. He went in to shoot for an hour by himself in this little studio. How you could possibly have Andrew Garfield or, or Tobey Maguire or whoever on set of a movie and not have that get out, that becomes uh, more problematic. But it's... It's, it's the yin and yang of this era we live in, Rob, because on one hand, we've got a lot of people who always say, and, and I, I empathize with this, man, I wish we didn't know about any of this. I know. But at the exact same time, this same audience, which we are all guilty of, this exact same audience that says, I wish we didn't know any of this, this exact same audience will be the first ones to scour the internet for any little bit of information that they can find. And that's the duality of what we are as fans today. We we want to know nothing, but we want to know everything. And it's, uh, it's kind of crazy the way we are that way. But anyway, guys, question is, what do you think is going to happen here? We haven't heard Marvel or Disney confirm that these two guys are going to be in this movie, although there's a lot of compelling evidence around that it is. So what do you think is going to happen? Are they going to be in it? If so, do you think it's going to be big role, small role, important role, inconsequential? Because remember, it can be big and inconsequential. It can also be a small role with very important consequences with their involvement. What do you think is going to happen here? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, and I'm sure we've got a lot more of this Spider-Man stuff to talk about here in our live questions part of the show. But for now, let's move on to the live questions part of the show, shall we? How do you get in a live comment or question on the show? It's really simple. Simply use the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video. You can just go click on it there, or you can enter it in manually. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show, and of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here on the show, thank you guys very much for that support. All right, let's jump on over right now and start getting into your questions. We'll get things started off here with Chad Johnson, who writes, Hey, John, have you seen Jungle Land starring Charlie Hunnam and Jack O'Connell? I have not. Uh, somebody else asked about that the other day. I loved it, and their performances were great. Also, your film was great, and you continue to impress everyone with your work ethic. Keep it up. Well, thank you so much, Chad, for checking out my documentary. I appreciate that very much. No, I have still not seen it. And you know what? Charlie Hunnam is a guy that I just naturally love because he's in one of my, he's the star of one of my top three all-time favorite television shows, Sons of Anarchy. But I was never really impressed with him, even though I wanted to be outside of Sons of Anarchy. And then I saw him in, what is it? The Englishman? Is that the name of it? I saw him in The Englishman with Matthew McConaughey. And I <laughs> loved him in that. We loved it. I, I it, Honestly, Rob, until- until the gentleman, thank you. Yeah. Until Trial of the Chicago Seven came out, the gentleman was still my number one favorite movie of the year. I liked it that much, and uh, but I have not seen this one. Rob, have you seen this uh, Jungle Land movie yet? I have not. I have not either, but I'm a fan. All right. Well, well, we'll definitely comment on it once we do get around to seeing it, though, for sure. Thanks for sending that in, Chad. All right. Next up, Mr. Kim's Mr. Kim's sneak attack. One of my favorite characters on television. Uh, big fan, John. Thank you so much. Why are some streaming services unavailable in some countries, especially on launch? Why can't they just be available worldwide? Thanks for, for reading. Well, Kim, listen, that is a big question that's come up a lot, especially once Disney Plus launched. The reality is every it's a very complex, twisted, convoluted web of things that have to be negotiated. Launching an entertainment streaming service that carries content into a market, there is a 
chasm of webs and mazes to go through of licenses who has the right to broadcast certain properties in certain countries at certain times do you even get your your license to operate in that territory all that kinds of things it's not just a matter of there's a lot more legal implications and every market by the way rob has its own legal requirements they're not all the same Right. Denmark will have different legal requirements and and business licenses and licensee loopholes that they have to deal with than say somebody in Russia or somebody in Sweden. It's it's a totally convoluted complex thing and so it takes time and sometimes you got to wait for certain licenses and regional distribution rights to lapse or do it's just it is a whole that's why they have massive legal teams that deal with stuff like this. Rob, how would you answer that question about why why can't they just launch you know, everywhere, worldwide, same day. Well, because there's all kinds of, of licensing agreements and things already in place. I was uh, reading a letter from a viewer in Scotland yesterday who explained that like Sky, which is a, a British network, has they, – they have licensing agreements that are already in place with people like HBO. And, and these, these agreements sometimes last for years. And you can't just violate these agreements. Uh, you, you can't just steamroll over previous commitments you have to other domestic, in terms of like if you're in the UK, domestic uh, broadcasters and things like that. So it takes a while. They have to wait for those things to roll out. Also, there's the technical uh, issues. You can't just, you know, it's you can't just turn on. Uh, uh, a service and expect everybody to run off the same server. You've got to, you've got to make it, you've got to make it work. You've got to create the infrastructure. And there's a lot of things to to consider. And every com- country is different. There's different laws and there's different, um, there's there is different infrastructure. Their internet system is different. I mean, they have to take all of that into consideration. You're going from, I mean, think about it. It's not like we can just travel from country to country to country. You have to get a passport. You have to get visas. You have to check in. I mean, it, it's the same is true of launching a service. Um, I, I can't, I, I shouldn't share too much, but before Anne took her current job uh, with Amazon, she had an, an opportunity to work with Disney uh, for Disney plus overseeing and architecting the launching of Disney plus in middle Eastern regions. And it's like there are, there are entire teams of people that need to be in place to even begin to make that a possibility. So yeah. it's, a, it's a huge, huge deal. It's not like just YouTube. Just stream it online. It's available everywhere. There's there's a lot of loopholes that need to be jumped through. Anyway, sorry. We need to keep moving on. Thanks. Good question, though, Mr. Kim. Absolutely good question. K.W. Garrett writes, now that subscriber numbers have become so important to HBO, uh, do I think they are going to crack down harder on password sharing? I know many people who share Hulu, HBO, Disney logins, and sometimes the circle includes 10 people for one login. You know what, Rob? It's, it, that's a funny thing because there are places like even uh, Google will make the fact that, hey, you want YouTube TV? Sign up for it and like... Four members of your household can all have their own personal accounts, right? They they make that a selling feature. Yeah. Everybody, he has everybody has either a use Netflix's Netflix's uh, from somebody else's password and account, or have other people that use your Netflix account to watch Netflix. Uh, I mean, it's just a common thing. But uh, Rob, I think KW is absolutely right. I think moving forward you're going to start to see more and more things put in place to limit 
how many people can access the same account. I even think at some point, I give it 24 months. I think at some point you're going to see two-factor authentic, uh, authentication to log in, much like the t- like you have a lot of websites that you can enable two-factor authentication where it's like not only do you have to put in your password, but then once you put in your password, they send you a text message to your phone with a code that you then put in. I, I can see something like two-factor authentication coming into play here too. Um, oh. at some point. So I do believe that that days of just making it, you know, sign up once 18 people can use a thing. I think those days are going to be coming to an end. Rob, what do you think? You know, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know what else I think is going to happen? I think streaming services, well, maybe AT&T will be the first for obvious reasons. They're going to have contracts. They're going to require you to sign up and you're going to have like a phone service for like a year. They're going to require contracts because people that dip in and out of streaming services because they like a show and then they figure, oh, I don't need it anymore, so I'm going to leave for three months and then come back. I think they're going to want to get rid of that as well. So I think, yes, they're going to crack down on multiple people using multiple or or one family or about 10 people using the same thing, the same um, access code or whatever. And I also think they're going to they're going to turn they're going to make it more like a phone model where you're going to have to have a contract and sign up for an extended period of time. And if not that, because uh, I think that's a possibility as well, then what you're going to see is staggered uh, pricing structures where it's like, hey, pay $17 a month for our service or sign up for a year at $12 a month. Like, I think you're going to see a bigger, because they already kind of do that with a little disparity between how much you save if you sign up for a year. I think we could see a part where there's a much wider disparity, like, hey, $28 a month for month to month, or you can get it for seven cents a a month for a year. You know, something really more, but I I think you may not be far off on that either, Rob. So I think two-factor authentication, uh, implementing certain time frame contracts because that is the AT&T way. Uh, and then I think other people will see, oh, that works for them. We'll do it too. Or a wider disparity between a month-to-month price versus a year-long commitment price. So you're right. I think there's a lot of different avenues this can go. All right. Great, great question, KW Garrett. All right. Next up, we got Stubble McShave who writes, do you think the heat caused by Warner Brothers in the movie world due to moving their movies to HBO Max will have consequences on Disney Plus? If Disney were to announce big movies going to Disney Plus in the coming days, it may not be too popular in some circles after Warner Brothers fumbling. Again, I think the big difference, but there's going to be two major differences between um, what Warner Brothers did and what Disney Plus is going to do. The first big difference, I believe, is going to be it is not going to be a de facto, unilateral, all of 2021, everything we do is going on to Disney+. Plus. There was something about that that sat really wrong with a lot of people, just saying, yes, it's, it's just everything. No consideration, no thought that, hey, what happens if the movie theaters are back up and running at 100% capacity come, you know, August or something like that. No, just one boom. I don't think Disney is going to do that. I think you're going to hear a mixture of things coming out of Disney. But the more important difference is going to be, I a thousand percent believe that whatever they announce tomorrow, they've talked about with every invested party that is going to be affected by that decision already. I guarantee you 
uh, that Alan Horn has discussed with Kevin Feige, with Kathleen Kennedy, with all of the, the various individual department heads, what's going to happen. I guarantee you that Kevin Feige then went and spoke with his directors and people involved. Same with Kathleen Kennedy, the heads of Pixar, the heads of Disney Pictures uh, proper. I just believe it's going to be about communication because, Rob, when you really look back at the meltdown that happened yesterday, even when you look at Christopher Nolan's direct comments, it was really all about the fact that Warner Brothers blindsided their own filmmakers and their own production partners like Legend- Legendary Pictures, who financed Dune, right? didn't even know that they were doing that. And when you hear Christopher Nolan's words saying, hey, a lot of big filmmakers went to bed last night thinking they were working for the best movie studio and they woke up to realize they're working for the worst streaming company. That's some harsh words, but really, that's what it really focused on. And I don't think Disney's going to make that mistake, Rob. No. I, I just don't think they're going to make that same mistake. All right. Anyway, let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, James Argento writes. Uh, who do you put in? Who do you put your money on to release Nolan's next film? My money is on either Disney via Fox, uh, since Nolan has had success with Alan Horn before on Dark Knight trilogy, or Sony, since they were able to win Tarantino. JJ might regret signing with Warner Brothers now. Honestly, Robin, and this may sound weird, I still think Christopher Nolan's next movie will be with Warner Brothers. Listen, when you're in professional relationships. And your profession is your livelihood. It is what you do. It's your career. You're going to have sparks sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that. You might even have some big public spats, just like Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan are right now. I saw the CEO of Warner Media yesterday on uh, MSNBC giving an interview. And they, they, they asked her, they said, uh, what do you think about Nolan raking you guys over the coals? She said the exact right thing. She said, we're honored to work with Christopher Nolan, and we look forward to working. She said the exact right things. Her ass obviously hurts from what Nolan said, but she said <laughs> the exact right things. And I think, you know, when you got professionals who have conflicting ideas, this will happen. But I honestly, I think at the end of the day, you're still going to see, I think they will work it out. I think they will talk, look, moving forward, don't do this to me again and blah, blah, blah. And okay, but if we do do it, don't you say this stuff like this. I think they will work it out behind the scenes. And honestly, I would put my money on Christopher Nolan's next film still being with Warner Brothers, despite how ugly everything started to look yesterday. And it is ugly. Rob, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, look, they have a longstanding, very lucrative partnership. And I think that that you know his his desire to provide a, a a great theatrical experience is not it's not something that uh he takes lightly or that is unknown by the rest of the industry so him making these kinds of snarky comments makes sense um i he also had to deal with tenant being being released when it was released and i'm sure that kind of stung even though he was he was out in front of that trying to get it out there during a pandemic uh, I think I think they'll people will let bygones be bygones and they'll say, OK, it's water under the bridge. But I think really who this comes back on is it's AT&T and Warner Brothers themselves. This conduct, they pissed off their money people. They pissed off legendary and they piss off their talent. And, you know, they're also doing things like paying Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins each $10 million to make up for their box office bumps. And how does that sit with other talent like Margot Robbie, who's 
in Suicide Squad. I mean, it's really weird, and I think it was not handled correctly. But then again, we are still seeing this from the outside, so maybe there are things that we just don't know. But we do know, according to the press, that they did this HBO and and uh, HBO Max and Warner Brothers did this and didn't tell anybody, which is really bad form, really bad form, especially with people that you want to do business with. I mean, if you're going to be that shady, who's going to do business with you again? Yep, I agree. And uh, this kind of continues on from movie fan who writes, I wrote into you over the weekend and said Warner Brothers would reap what they sowed based on how they treated theaters. Based on what I've read, points are more common uh, than than you said, as 75 percent of Warner Brothers 2021 film slate had those deals. Will Disney change course based on reaction? This kind of goes back to what you're just saying, Rob, like. One of the other things that really bothered a lot of these filmmakers is that Warner Brothers treated certain films better than they treated other films. So like with Wonder Woman, with where they had where Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot had uh, had trigger deals in place where if the movie does so well at the box office, we get certain bonuses and we get certain back end points and blah, blah, blah. So what Warner Brothers did with Wonder Woman is they went and they said, OK, we're going to tell you what, Patty and Gal, we're going to do the accounting on Wonder Woman as if it made a billion dollars at the box office, which I think is a perfectly fair number. Maybe it would have been a little bit more. Maybe it would have been a little bit less. But I think a billion dollars is a nice number for that. And if Wonder Woman had done a theatrical release and made a billion dollars, it would have equated Gal and Patty each getting $10 million paydays. Great. The problem is they didn't treat the other films that way. They made the other films take some sort of different mathematical equations that was going to equate to something false, far smaller. So then you got these agents going, why are their clients getting that kind of a sweetheart deal and ours aren't? How come they're – and that was yet another mistake on their part. And again, another mistake that I think Wonder – that I think Disney will avoid. I think Disney will avoid that, so – we'll have to wait and see. But that that Wonder Woman example you brought up, Rob, is exactly on point. All right, next up. Dave Johnson writes, coming fall 2021, Warner Brothers presents I've Got a Stiffy, the musical. I've got a stiffy. You know, someone's going to make that. Somebody's probably going to take that, remix it, sample it, and turn it into a hit song next week. You watch. It's coming. Uh, Dwayne Jackson. Thanks for that, Dave. Dwayne Jackson writes, hey, John and family. With the Christopher Nolan comments about Warner Brothers and with legendary films not being consulted, do directors and actors and producers and the film studios have a contract? Uh, What Warner Brothers did, would you consider to be a breach in this contract? Well, I'll tell you what, Rob. Legendary seems to think it's a breach in contract. Um, Deadline was reporting yesterday that they have already started some proceedings. They've already sent some letters from their lawyers to Warner Brothers about this. It all depends on the wording of the deals. Remember, the distributor has sole discretion to decide what happens to a movie. Warner Brothers may say, listen, yeah, we know we told you that this was going to happen with the movie, but we are within our rights to do something else with the movie. And that might be ironclad. I don't know. But every contract is worded uniquely. Rob, you've signed many a deal and you've signed many contracts. And I doubt any of them were exactly the same as the others. There is a uniqueness to them, right? Of course. Yeah, I mean, every like you said, every negotiation is different. There's deal points. Every deal point's different depending. I mean, these are these are huge. You're dealing with, I mean, unbelievable sums of money. 
from unbelievable amounts of 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 other people. I mean, there's it's not just like Legendary has a pile of cash. They're they've got other people that they're getting money from too. And and it, it it's a, it's this ecosystem and you know, when you sign a contract with someone, you have to assume that it's going to be especially in the entertainment business that it's going to be adhered to. Because there's a world of hurt if it's not, as we're seeing now. And, you know, I was I was saying, I talked to an industry professional, somebody very in the know, was explaining that there was all kinds of things that were Dune, they didn't want to move Dune, and they had to move Tenant, and then they wouldn't move Tenant, and then there's all kinds of bad faith going on here. And I think Legendary is right to be pissed. Yep, I, I, especially since they're the ones who put up the money. Um, all right, next up, Fidel Riaz writes, John, if the Directors Guild of America does boycott Warner Brothers, because you remember yesterday in that, uh, in that, uh, I believe it was a deadline, no, it was the New York Times article, said that there were conversations going on at the Directors Guild of, pardon me, at the Directors Guild of America of uh, boycotting um, Warner Brothers films. If the DGA does boycott Warner Brothers, would that instantly halt production of current films like Batman? Theoretically? Theoretically, yes. Um, Matt Reeves is a member of the Directors Guild of America. The Directors Guild of America has a um, collectively bargained agreement with the major studios that are signatories. Warner Brothers is one of those signatory studios that lays out conduct and rules that must be followed. If the DGA decides that Warner Brothers with this move, this HBO move, breached those rules and they decide to pronounce a DGA boycott of Warner Brothers, Matt Reeves will stop working on Batman as a member of the DGA. Uh, and then, Rob, what I talked about yesterday is the, the, the apocalypse scenario, which is Sometimes when these labor unions, and that's what the DGA is, it's a labor union, they will work together. And so the real apocalypse scenario is, is if the DGA decides our members can't, will not work on Warner Brothers projects, there is a good chance that SAG will then step in and say, we are standing with our brothers and sisters in the DGA. And the Screen Actors Guild will say Screen Actors Guild members can't be in Warner Brothers films. And then the Writers Guild may step in and say, we stand with our brothers and sisters and SAG. And, and, you know, and it could, I mean, I'm talking worst case scenario, but the worst case scenario is truly apocalyptic when it comes to war. So theoretically, Rob, yeah, if the DGA announces tomorrow that they are boycotting Warner's stuff until further notice, unless Matt Reeves turns in his DGA card, which I don't think he's going to do, uh, work on that movie stops. I, Rob, you're more closely affiliated with these things. Like, wow. What type of scenarios could we see unfold here? I, you know, it's I don't I I find it very hard to to say. I mean, you, you know, to me, it seems like you've got AT and T who now owns Warner Brothers, and they 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 have not been in the entertainment business for a long time, and I think there's they just don't quite know exactly how it works because AT&T's corporate structure is such that they're used to doing what they want and and getting what they want and you know Hollywood is a very different kind of a business and talent contracts and the guilds the the whether it's it's not it's the directors guild it's the writers guild it's IATSE. you have all kinds of different 
uh, guilds that you have to honor the commitments that you've made to them. They have to be guild signatories. You, you could really gum up the works for everybody doing this and put people in a strange position. And I, I think ultimately there's an arrogance here from AT&T side where they're going, what does it matter? You know, we, we just got to get our streaming service up and running. Well, you're, you're screwing with the very thing that's going to make your streaming service attractive to people, which is all this great new content. You know, I mean, if, if people get pissed, is, is Zack Snyder going to stop work on the Snyder Cut? It depends I, if the DGA I mean, says to. <laughs> I mean, isn't that legendary too? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's legendary all, as well. There's a lot. There's such craziness happening. And I, I to me, it, it feels so needless. You know, this didn't have to go down this way. No, it didn't. It's uh, and it's a mess of their own making. All they had to do was talk to people. That's all you had to do is just communicate. Just like marriage, Rob. Yeah, just got to communicate. That fixes half the problems. All right. Marley writes, I live in New York City. So if the death of a movie theater of the movie theaters does happen, I think I'll be fine as especially movie houses as specialty movie houses will still exist here. However, what do you think this means for people in, say, middle America? Will going to the movie suddenly be inaccessible? Um, I don't think it'll be inaccessible. Like I said many times, what I think is is we are about to see the death of is the era of the movie theater. I think the movie theaters, much like vinyl and record players, will still be around. But just as the era of the record player is dead and gone, I believe the era of the paradigm we've had with what movie going means is coming to an end. Now, I hope I'm wrong about that. I desperately hope I'm wrong about that. And who knows what the future will, will bring in the next year or two. But uh, but yeah, I think they'll still be around in, in shape or form in most communities across America. It'll just be very, very a lot smaller. And a lot different. What it'll look like, I'm not really sure yet, but I do think it'll still be there, Marley. Excellent question. Well asked. All right, next up, Boomtown writes, hey, been listening to you for ages. Thank you so much, Boom. Uh, given the predicted demise of cinema, do you think professionally run and streamed and streamed watch parties will be introduced by the studio to try and replicate the shared experience feel? Well, listen, we already see that kind of happening, right? Netflix launched their watch party feature. Uh, Disney Plus has been experimenting with the same thing. Amazon is working on the same thing. That Here's the thing, though. It never really took off. Rob, I remember when uh, Netflix Watch Party launched, I, I did one myself. I did a, a watch-along party of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I remember when it first launched, there was a lot of fanfare. There's some very there's some big excitement buzz about it, but it died almost instantly. Like they just realized, yeah, it's not, it's not the same thing. So right. I don't see it becoming I could see it being used now and again for for some fun, but I don't really seeing it become a major thing. Do you? Do you see an avenue for it? Nah, not really. But you know, dude, at this point, at this point, where we're at in 2020, who knows? Like at the top of the hour, we're st would you think that, that we would have Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland? Of course not. I don't know. At this point, <laughs> uh, at this point, I, up is down. Dogs and cats are living together. It's mass hysteria out there, John. So who knows what's going to happen? All right. <laughs> but next I think up, not. I think yeah, not. I agree. Uh, Elbron writes, does Nolan's condemnation of Warner Brothers put an end to their collaboration with future films? Again, I, I don't think so. Listen, it, it not all of it became real public, but when Ben Affleck left the Batman project, it was not amicable and it was not pretty. 
Um, and what was made public was not pretty, but what wasn't made public was even less pretty. And it, but it's, again, this is their profession. If at some point they can come back and say, okay, yeah, I didn't like that you did that and you didn't like that I did this, but we think we work well together. So let's continue to make some things. And now Ben Affleck's back, right? So if that can happen with Ben, it can happen with Nolan. And I still, I still believe Nolan's, I don't know for a fact, but my guess would be Nolan's next project will still be a Warner Brothers project. Uh, Adam K writes, Let's say that in six months from now, the pandemic is over. People are going back to the movies like before and Warner Brothers strategy with HBO Max is underperforming. If all these things happen, could Warner Brothers reconsider putting the rest of their 2021 films on HBO Max? Whenever you ask the, the with the word could, the answer is always yes. But the answer here is yes, Rob, because look, everybody knows. I'm sorry. Warner Brothers can say all they want. Oh, we're doing this because of the pandemic and we're doing. No, they're not. They're doing this because they saw Disney Plus only a year out of the gate completely lapped them and smoked their subscription numbers when it came to HBO and HBO Max combined. That's why this is how this is. This isn't about we at Warner Brothers are so concerned about the viewing experience of the of the people. The people is what we care about. That's that has nothing to do with it. This has to do with. AT&T believing they, because being a digital communication service, they want to be in the digital communications content delivery uh, business. That's what they want to be. And they see Disney beating the living shit out of them. And they see Netflix continuing to just completely lap them. And even though, even though to their credit, Rob, they're sitting back going, we're putting out really good content. And they are. Warner Brothers is putting out, or I, I should say HBO Max is putting out some phenomenal content. And they're still getting the shit kicked out of them. And you know, that's what this is about. What do you think? I, I I think part of the problem is they didn't – like Disney Plus was brand new. You have an entire studio's legacy that became their streaming platform. HBO Max doesn't seem like that. I think Warner Brothers made a huge error in not creating – rebranding – they, they thought, yeah, we're going to use HBO and lead that way. But HBO has been around for 30 years. People who have HBO have HBO. There's no excitement around it. People are like, well, I have HBO. They didn't create something new. Like, we are bringing you the entire Warner Brothers legacy. 100 years of history at your fingertips. Yeah. And then HBO is part of that. And, and so I think part of their problem is that they didn't create any excitement. I mean, Disney, you're, you're getting the entire legacy of Disney. And everybody who is alive today grew up with Disney in some way, shape, or form, whether it was seeing the re-releases of all their animated shows, watching the wonderful world of Disney on TV. I mean, my mom had the Mickey Mouse Club. I mean, it's like generation after generation after generation had Disney. And when they bring out Disney Plus, dude, that was, who doesn't want to get, that's, that's exciting. HBO Max, eh, eh, we'll get around to it. Yeah, There's you no... I mean, they've got great stuff, but there's no urgency there, and they didn't create something new that you can rally behind. I mean, John, even Peacock is something that we didn't have before. Yeah. And listen, you're absolutely right. It's it's branding because HBO Max just sounds like, yeah, yeah I've, I've gone this long without, without watching The Sopranos. I'm fine. So branding was probably – you're right. I think they come out with Warner Brothers Plus. I mean, I hate the fact that everybody just says plus, but for argument's sake, if they had launched a brand new thing, 
They tried to, that's the thing. They launched HBO Max and they tried to act like it was a brand new thing. But everybody's like, wait a minute, we've got HBO Go. So they launched in a cloud of confusion. So yeah, they launched yes. when there was still HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO proper, and now HBO Max. And we're just like, what's the difference? I can watch Sopranos and all of them, right? Right? Okay, so there's nothing new. So yeah. that, but the other mistake they made was they they started to fragment their audience before they even started. Their their whole doomed, disastrous DC universe thing was a massive mistake they should have held on to that and had that be a part of hbo max right from the beginning instead they try to launch this secondary service at oh we're gonna put this uh, uh, harley quinn which is so good that harley quinn show. we're gonna put this harley quinn show here we're gonna do the swamp thing show and they were fragmenting their digital content delivery audience even before they started they they have dropped their content people have done a great job harley quinn uh the watchman stuff all the stuff that they've been producing has been top notch but outside of their content creation they have fumbled the ball on this HBO, and I love HBO Max, I do, but from a marketing point of view, they have fumbled the ball so badly. Whereas yeah. Disney Plus, yeah, we'll put out Mandalorian and whatever, and they've had huge success because they've stayed on brand, they've stayed on message, they made sure everything was communicated clearly, and they're kicking the shit out of HBO right now. And you know, you know what else, John? If you look at their branding, how it's Disney Plus, and then underneath, like if you go on, it says Disney Plus, but then it has Star Wars. Marvel, National Geographic, Pixar. all of these things, Pixar, you know, underneath, but everybody knows it's Disney Plus. And that's what, I, I mean, HBO is not Warner War Brothers, and they've got a, you know, the Warner Brothers logo even has, dun, 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 dun. they have a theme song that doesn't even get used that much. They have it. And they could have just come out of the gate going 100 years of history, thousands of classic films from Casablanca to Lethal Weapon, whatever. You know, right. they didn't do any of that. And HBO is under that umbrella. But now, they decided. Let's get to the actual. I, 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 my fault. I've been sidestepping the actual question that Adam was asking. If this doesn't work, we get six oh. months into this and they realize it's not working. Could HBO walk back on this? I would say this. <laughs> if their if their parent company was anybody other than AT&T, I would say, yeah, if they try to go full throttle on HBO Max and they realize it's not working and they've lost all those billions of dollars in potential theater revenue and all that kind of stuff, could they walk that back? I would say yes, under most circumstances. That could happen. By the way, we don't know that this gamble of theirs won't pay. It'll pay off in spades. This may work for Warner Brothers. This move of theirs could work out beautifully. Who knows? But if it didn't and any other company was was running them, I'd say, yes, there's a possibility they could walk it back. AT&T is about digital delivery. They're about digital content direct to consumer. That's all they are about. And they yep. would rather watch Warner Brothers. I think they would rather watch Warner Brothers burn than walk this back. I don't know. What do you think? I agree. I, I mean, that's what people have to remember is that AT&T owns the infrastructure that's delivering this material. And it's a soup to nuts operation. They're not going to give this up. They might rebrand it, um, but they own a movie. They own arguably the greatest movie studio and they have all this content, whatever they're going to call it. They can call it one thing or another. They might have to turn HBO Max into something else, but um, it's still going to happen. 
You know, they're still all in. And as soon as they get rolling, I mean, when these movies start showing up, it's going to be a whole different ball game. People are going to show up. and They're going to start their subscription base. I think is going to go through the roof. It's just right now, like you said, nobody even even to this day, if I were to say, mom, you know, HBO Max, my mom's like, hey, we had HBO when you were a kid. <laughs> my yeah. mom doesn't. What? Why? Why? She'd be like, why am I? Why am I signing up for this? She doesn't know. And that's right. the problem. We spent, this is my fault, we spent way too much time on one topic. Let's keep on going here. Uh, Crone Dog writes, uh, it isn't important that Solo lost money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, Inflated budgets and refilming most of the movie uh, could be fixed for the sequel. Isn't the real problem that Solo only made about one third as much as other sequel era films? Well, I mean, it's six of one and a half and dozen the other. You're saying the problem isn't that I got punched in the face. The problem is that I have a broken nose. (laughs) This is the same thing. Yeah. Listen, they lost money because they only made one third of what what a Star Wars movie should traditionally make. Um, It is a very big deal because you have to look at the underlying why. Why did Solo not work? It's the why. And uh, the why, you know, I said from the day they announced that movie, I said, people don't want to see a a Han Solo movie where it's not Harrison Ford playing Han Solo when we just had Han Solo on the big screen. (laughs) Yep. And and that's proven because the next Star Wars movie that came out did make a billion dollars, made 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 over a billion dollars at the box office. It's the underlying why. And so, yeah, for for as Rob always says, it ain't show friends, it's show business. The fact that it lost money means something. Also, the fact that it made like one third of what it traditionally should. But again, to quote the uh, the Merovingian in uh, Matrix Two, it's causality. Uh, it's causality. I love the sound of French. It's like wiping your ass with silk. Anyway, terrific line. Uh, Crone Dog writes, both a big budget solo two and a full series don't make sense. Instead, do three $50 million one hour specials on Disney plus uh, one month apart to force at least three months of subs. One episode on Han Chewie, one on Lando, one on uh, Kira and Darth Maul. The problem is nobody's interested. See, that, that's the underlying problem here. You want them to invest $150 million plus marketing plus whatever for three pieces of content that sit on at least one se- season of Mandalorian has eight episodes. So three pieces of content for something that the audience already said they weren't interested in. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. No, but listen, remember, Crone Dog, this is you got two guys here, but I'll just talk for myself here specifically. You're listening to a guy right now that loved the solo movie. I thought the solo movie was great space sci-fi fun. I enjoyed that movie very much. Not as much as Rogue One or anything like that, but I I thought it was a really good entertaining movie. And I would personally love to see another one of them. But from a business point of view, it just does not add up. So I don't know, Rob, what do you think the chances of that are? Zero. <laughs> I mean, it, it does, like you said, it doesn't add up. I mean, maybe they they could uh, Alden Enright. I, I think they uh, they could do a series of Hans young Han Solo movies or something. But uh, you, you don't throw throw good money after bad. You just you just don't. What can they do? Uh, good. Yeah. Well, well said. All right. Crone Dog writes, I'm starting to think that J.K. Simmons isn't just reprising his role as J. Jonah Jameson. I think he's the same J.J. from the Raimi trilogy. He's not actually back in the day when J.K. was even talking about it. He even said, so it's a different J.J., but blah, 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 blah. And clearly when you see what the Daily Bugle is, 
and even JJ himself, it's it's a different JJ. So he already kind of confirmed that. But hey, just because he said that before doesn't mean they couldn't change things moving ahead. So we'll see what they do there. All right. Next up, Casey McNatt writes one of two. If the news of Alfred Molina coming back to Spider-Man 3 is true, I worry for the movie not being good. As we know, Sony has a history of packing Spider-Man movies with multiple villains uh, in two of their Spider-Man sequels, Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, so the fact of having Doc Ock, Electro, the three Spider-Men, and let's not forget Doctor Strange, uh, just has has me worried. Who knows? Maybe it'll be better. Uh, the movie's better who knows maybe it will be better the the movies they had in the past but i guess we'll have to wait and see well i mean listen uh casey the best to me the best comic book movie since logan is spider-man into the spider-verse they had many villains they had scorpion and they had Goblin, and they had uh, Doc Ock, and they had Kingpin, and they had Prowler, and they had, how many villains did they have? They had tons of villains. <laughs> look at look at uh, X Men, the first the first X Men film. They had Magneto, and they had uh, Sabretooth, and they had Mystique, and they had Toad. They had tons of villains. It's not it's not the formula about, well, if you have two villains, that equals bad. If you have one villain, that equals good. No, lots of terrible movies have one villain. It's not that. It's about how do you structure your film and how do you portray it? So I don't think the number of villains in it really has anything to do with it. And again, Sony just did a Spider-Man movie with lots of villains, and it's the best comic book movie that's come out since Logan. I don't know, Rob, what do you how would you respond to uh, Casey's concerns here? Uh, I you know what? Again, like you just said, great examples. It it. it it's look how many villains did Die Hard have in it? It had a whole cadre of people. It really depends how how they're written and how the story's told. You know, I think we've seen what really I think started this was the Batman movies, Warner Brothers Batman movies after Tim Burton. You know, everyone, well, we had to have two villains. You know, it's the Penguin and it's the Catwoman, it's Riddler and it's Two Face, and it got to the point where it didn't really work, and so we kind of grew tired of that formula. But I think that that idea still lingers, you know, years after the fact. Poison Ivy and and uh, what the Mister Freeze or whatever, and you know it. Bane. I think uh, Bane. Uh, Bane. Oh my God, things have changed. Things have changed, and I think again it comes down to the writing, as always, and the story being told. All right, let's get uh, one more question in here with Rob still here. K Major writes, do you wish that Sony held on to the surprise news of Molina or even Fox joining the film? Could th could they have, or is it just the era of technology we're living in? I miss the days of being completely surprised in the dark about a film's ongoing. We were talking about that a little bit earlier, K Major. Rob, one of the things that I find film fans uh, often get confused and mistake is that when an outlet like The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Deadline, uh, Entertainment Weekly, what they have sources. They investigate. They actually have professional journalists. Listen, fucking boob nobody YouTubers like me are not real journalists, okay? I've heard so many boob nobody YouTubers claim I'm a journalist. No, you're fucking not, okay? We are not <laughs> journalists. Journalism is a real profession that takes real study and real skill. There's so And I love what I do. I'm a pundit. I'm a very proud pundit. I love being a pundit. There's nothing wrong with me being a pundit. But when journalists dig and investigate and make calls and talk to the right people and they know how to do their research and they find these things out, they discover things and then they verify it through multiple sources and then they report it. 
What we as film fans sometimes mistakenly do is go, why did Sony announce that? 80% of the time, Sony didn't announce that. An investigative journalist found out about it. Somebody with the right contacts and who made the right phone calls and put themselves in the right places found out about it. And then they reported it. It's not that they, I remember Rob, a back a little while ago when this new star Wars show came out, right? Uh, that this, I, and I keep forgetting the name of the director, uh, the woman who's going to be directing this new star Wars series. that's going to be taking place in another universe. And it was going to be female led. I remember, I think it was variety that broke that story, Right. Uh, Disney made no announcement. Lucasfilm didn't make any announcement. It was this reporter variety who reported on the story and wrote the story about it. And one of the things the reporter mentioned as a part of their fact finding was the fact that it was going to be a female led <clears throat> series. That's what they found out. So they reported it. They didn't even put it in the headline. They just reported. This is one of the things immediately. A bunch of people online goes, why is Disney making such a big deal out of the fact that it's going to be female led? And when I try to tell people this, Disney didn't. A reporter found out about the story, reported what they found out, only mentioned that there's a female lead in paragraph four in a single line. It wasn't in the headline, but it wasn't Disney that announcement, just, just as it wasn't Sony that announced that Melina was going to be in it. So I think we as film fans need to understand there is a distinction between what a studio announces and what one of the real news trades finds out, discovers, and breaks a story on. But it, then it goes back to the other thing, Rob, that you were saying earlier. Is there any putting the genie back in the bottle, Rob? Is there any way, other than little things like Jay, Jay Jonah popping up at the end of Spider-Man in a quick little cameo, which they were still found a way to keep under wraps, is there any way to have major stars and major characters playing major parts in a film and have us as film goers not even know about that until we get to, can that even happen anymore? I don't, I don't really think it can, but you know, it's so weird to me because I have a bizarre relationship in my own mind with spoilers in the sense that to me, a spoiler isn't really a movies are made. They're scripted years in advance. So what happens in a movie isn't a spoiler. It's just what a movie – I mean if you're watching a – nobody cares about spoiling a rom-com, but it's because of these geek things, geek touchstones. We all want the – like what's going to happen? We all want that information. So the idea of spoilers has become a thing until we decide that we don't want spoilers anymore. You know, But I don't think we're capable of doing that. I think we as an audience – dude, I'm a, I'm a bonafide lifelong geek. I want to know. If they're going to make Avengers Endgame or Avengers Infinity War, who's going to be in it? Who's the villain? I want to know what's going to happen. I can't help myself. And there, there are other geeks like us. We've become pundits. And we're going to find out. You know, if you're Mikey Sutton or whatever, you're going to be breaking that Marvel story every day if you can because there's a hunger. We want to know. And until we fundamentally change our nature, and I don't know if I can do that, John. If somebody said to me, hey, do you want to know a – What's going to happen in Star Trek Strange New Worlds? I'm going to be like, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I just – I am incapable of saying, no, man, I want to wait. No, man. And I that's the dichotomy of – that's that's this, the unexplainable dichotomy of us as film fans. We don't want to know everything, but we will go completely out of our way to find out everything. That's just us. It's, that's what we do. It's it kind of strange. Change. Hey, listen, Rob, I know you got things you got to do. Thanks for being here today, man. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your infinite goodness online, my friend? 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Burnett RM. Find me on uh, no, I'm at, I'm on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett RMB. <laughs> uh, find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on my, my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and all of those things. All right, Out dude. Hey, ether. again, thanks a lot for being here. We'll see you later in the week. Have a good one, my friend. Take care. All right, I'll see you later. Okay, everybody, that is the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. It's always good to have him and his infinite wisdom here. But listen, guys, we still got some time and we still got a bunch of questions from you guys. So let's keep going through your topics, shall we? Next up, uh, I need toilet paper. Name of the day. There's our name of the day right there. I need toilet paper rights. Everyone is quick to name Luke, Mace, Ezra, example, uh, etc. for who reaches out to Baby Yoda. We call him Baby Yoda around here. Uh, but why can't it be a Force ghost with the Ahsoka ties now? Why not Hayden, Ozanakin, or Qui-Gon? Just thinking outside the box. Well, listen, if you guys will remember uh, last week or a week or so ago when we did our episode and we talked on this show about who are the potential people that could show up, we very specifically said it could be one of the Force ghosts. It very well could be Yoda. It very well could be Obi-Wan. It very well could be Qui-Gon Jinn. It very well could be Mace Windu in the flesh or Mace Windu Force ghost. I mean, Force ghosts are definitely a possibility. I don't think likely, but... It's it's up there as a valid possibility. I'm not going to fall out of my chair in, in uh, desperate shock if we find out a force ghost shows up. All right. Uh, Danny 18 writes, did you hear about Alfred Molina returning to the new Spider-Man movie? The Hollywood Reporter has apparently confirmed it. Yep. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday on the show. We talked about it today. Stunning. Stunning. And and to me, the most valid piece of information that really does imply that we're going to see Garfield and Tobey Maguire back. That's that's like I already, I knew months ago, like we played in that clip. I knew months ago that it's a possibility. But Molina coming back was like, OK, yeah, that that does it. Jamie Foxx represents the Andrew Garfield era. Molina represents the Tobey Maguire era. To me, in my head, it's a done deal. So, yeah, we yeah, it's a, it's a big thing, man. And I love his Doc Ock, man. I love him. But I just love Alfred Molina. He's fantastic. Anyway, Tony Rodriguez writes, congratulations on the new house. Thank you so much. Uh, and I'm obviously not in it yet, but Ann and I just bought our first home. We're very excited. You're going to be seeing a new studio pretty soon. Going to build a new studio in the new house that we're going to. So, yay! We won't be moving until the end of January, but there you go. Uh, I'm eagerly waiting to see what your new studio is going to look like. Will we get a tour and how long will the show be down while you set up? Uh, is the renovations going, go, are the renovations going to be going on? Yeah, we actually, technically we get the house in seven days, seven days. We get our new house, but we are having renovations done. And uh, the renovations are going to take about six weeks. So we will move in at the end of January. I'm guessing there's not going to be a long turnaround time. Maybe two shows. Maybe two days will take off. We will probably do a show on like a Tuesday from here. And then maybe no show on a Wednesday and Thursday. And then Friday will be right back up and running again from the new studio. So it's going to be a very, very short turnaround time because we're going to get the new house in seven days, but we're still going to be living here until the end of January. So that's how that's going. Thanks for asking, Tony. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, big fan. Thank you so much. I really like the episode where you and Rob talk about your gear. What camera slider do you have? Uh, I use a, oh, what is the damn name of my slider? Uh, hold a second. Damn it. I can't remember the name of my slider. I, cause obviously I have a, a slider. You guys notice on this shot that the camera is moving. I have a, 
uh, a programmable slider where the the camera moves uh, automatically for me, which is great. I, I love little moving shots. I call this the ESPN shot. I call it the ESPN shot. I cannot. It's not the Echo Drone. Um, I can't. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Off the top. Of my, I love gear and I can't remember the name of the slider that I use. I'm sorry about that, man. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll try to remember to mention it next time, but I, I can't remember the name of it right now. All right. And Nazi also writes, there's a lot of overreactions about Warner Brothers decision. Theaters will suffer, but we already have written uh, the next six months off. They made the right decision for WB uh, and the fans as I still have a chance to watch all the 17 movies in cinema. Nothing taken away. Um, that's not true. That see, that is an oversimplification of the issue. This is not a win-win. This is a maybe win-lose. What you want in these types of movies is a win-win. This is a maybe win and definitely lose. Movie theaters operate on razor thin margins that means the amount of profit they make when they make profit is small you know they spend five million a year to make 5.2 million a year profitable keeps them in business but there's not a lot of room there for something going wrong so if you suddenly take 30 percent of their business away Suddenly, they've gone from being a little bit profitable to just continuously bleeding money, right? You can't have Wonder Woman 84 go on HBO Max at the same time as in theaters. That will take away minimum 30%, minimum 30%, probably closer to 50 or 60%, but at minimum is going to take away 30% of business from the theaters. They can't survive that. They can't survive that. And also remember, most of the outrage regarding the HBO Warner Brothers move was the fact that they did it unilaterally without talking to all of the invested parties, all the people involved in those movies, all the people who stand to make money from those movies, all the people who put their time and effort, who had agreements and contracts with Warner Brothers about theatrical releases for their films, and Warner Brothers didn't talk to any of them about it. They didn't even, they didn't even consult them or give them a heads up. A lot of them found out through the press. They found out after they announced it. That was the biggest issue and bone of contention uh, with them. Uh, so that, that's the main problem. That was really the main problem. Frankie G writes, with the success of Schitt's Creek and Eugene Levy reminded me uh, reminded my, me of one of my favorite group movies from the 90s, the group mockumentaries, usually written by Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy. Uh, Guest is probably best known for This is Spinal Tap. Um, these movies included waiting for Guffman best in show. Anne and I just watched best in show the other day. Again, she'd never seen it. We just watched it again. Uh, a mighty wind best in show, etc. A mighty wind is my favorite because of Eugene Levy's performance. Anyone that loves spoof, uh, farces, parody, etc. should check them out. They're all great. Personally, be, maybe it's because I'm a dog guy. Best in show is, uh, best in show is my favorite. Best in show is my favorite out of them. A lot of people I know love waiting for Guffman. A mighty wind is also absolutely fantastic. Uh, but guys, if you have not watched Shit's Creek, oh my God, do watch Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek, there's a reason it won every Emmy under the sun. Uh, it is absolutely, absolutely wonderful, fantastic. And uh, yeah, and uh, make sure you go and check out Shit's Creek. It's absolutely, totally one of the top three, I think one of the top three or four best sitcoms of all time. And I was really late to the party on it. Frankie G writes with the, Oh, that was Frankie G. Uh, Raymond Verado writes 
Just found out that the new voice actor behind Bugs Bunny is uh, a Filipino Canadian, Eric Bauza. He also does Daffy Duck, Tweety Bird, and Martin the Martian. He could be your son from the future. It's because, you know, my wife is Filipino. Uh, and that's not unusual, right? Like a lot of these shows that will have somebody doing an animated voice, they will often often do multiple voices. That's the way it was in the 50s and 60s. Not surprised to hear that's the way it is now. And always good to hear Canadian and Filipinos doing well in the business. All right, next up, uh, Bill Hauser writes, should we start a GoFundMe to get uh, Nathan... I don't know who this is. Emmanuel, the same fashion that she introduces Danny as the unburnt, the breaker of change. Oh, is that the girl who was also in the Fast and the Furious movie? Uh, Nathalie, is that her name? Emmanuel, in the same fashion that she introduces Danny as the unburnt, the breaker of change, mother of dragons, etc., to do an introduction for Rob using all the titles you've given him so far. Our existential Mr. Rogers, our uh, bringer of glorious platitudes. Yeah, maybe we should. As you see, maybe she's available. Maybe she's not working right now. Yeah, I mean, COVID's got everybody broken down. Maybe she says, hey, you got a little time? Come in. Give you 50 bucks. Come in and record a little intro for Rob. Maybe we'll see if she'll take it. All right, next up, Willow writes. So are you secretly hoping now that the DGA boycotts Warner Brothers? You may be getting a lot of work soon serving as the director, writer, and star of all the movies of Warner Brothers. Yeah, we were joking about that yesterday, about how if uh, the DGA suddenly calls a strike, uh, against Warner Brothers and a boycott of Warner Brothers work. Oh, Warner Brothers can just hire me because I'm not in the DGA. No, no, I, I do not want there to be any kind of boycott of Warner Brothers. Let's be clear. Um, I want them to be able to work these things out. I want the directors and the Directors Guild, the SAG, the Writers Guild. I want them all to be able to work something out with Warner Brothers. I want Warner Brothers to learn from the mistake make some assurances to the to the guilds. I want the guilds to then be happy and satisfied and compromise with Warner Brothers. Hopefully this all works out for the best. But unfortunately, Warner Brothers did create a situation that is a little bit of a crap storm that uh, they're going to have to navigate. And we'll see how this all turns out on the other side. All right, next up, Bill Hauser writes, maybe Ahsoka's episode was right before her epilogue scene in Rebels and she is looking for Thrawn to rescue Ezra. So I don't think he will be the one to show up, but imagine Sebastian Stan shows up as Luke uh, later revealed to be an all uh, an evil clone. Enter Mara, enter Mara Jade. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening, but it is interesting to note that Dave Filoni, because a lot of people, we're under the impression, because honestly, it is the impression that the show gave, that that final scene in Rebels, when Sabine and uh, and Ahsoka were about to go off searching for Ezra, by extension Thrawn, happens after the events of Mandalorian. And what Dave Filoni has recently come out and said is, you know, we were kind of ambiguous about when exactly that happened. That last scene in Rebels, we weren't really clear on when that happened. So it could have happened before the events of Mandalorian, and it could have happened after the events of the Mandalorian. Obviously, I think he knows which, but he's just kind of leaving it a little bit ambiguous for the audience. And I think that's pretty cool that they're still leaving a little bit of mystery there. We'll see how that ultimately resolves itself. All right. Bradley M. writes, I was catching up on Dune before the new movie and found that the two miniseries DVDs are out of print. Oh, really? And unavailable to rent or buy digitally. Someone posted the, uh, the first to YouTube and the second is on some obscure library service, Hoopla. But why don't they want my money? That's a good question. You know, the sci-fi miniseries of Dune, 
that had, oh, uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Why am I forgetting the actor's name? The, the actor who plays Thunderbolt Ross. Hold on a second. Uh, who plays uh, Thunderbolt Ross? Uh, why am I, I, I love this actor. Uh, William Hurt. So William Hurt uh, was in that one. He played Paul Atreides' dad, right? And it's actually, you know, for a lower budget sci-fi network miniseries, I honestly kind of enjoyed that Dune miniseries. I like that. I would love to own it if I knew where I could own it from. Not on physical media, but if, I'm surprised it's not available on, I've never looked for it, but I'm surprised it's not available on like Google Play or Amazon or iTunes. That is interesting. I'm going to have to go look into that because like I said, Bradley, I actually kind of like that little miniseries. It wasn't magnificent, but for what it was, I thought it was pretty good. All right. Uh, next up, Chip Chapman writes, submitted uh, for your consideration. Spider-Man 3 will be a multiverse tie-in featuring the Sinister Six, Electro, Doc Ock, Vulture, Mysterio, Sandman, and Craven. Uh, what are your thoughts, by the way? I'm 70 and I've been watching you since the AMC days. You rock, son. Oh, thank you so much for that, Chip. And thank It's amazing to me, honestly. I The fact that I get messages from people like kids getting ready to start high school. And I'm, and I get messages from people who say they watch the show every day with their grandkids. I mean, it's, but it speaks to the awesomeness and the universality of movies and the stories that are told on our big screens and small screens, right? We are all fans. Doesn't matter whether we're rich, poor, gay, straight, American, Swedish, uh, it, it, it's whatever. Doesn't matter. We're all fans of the stories that get told on the big and small screens. And that's one of the things that I love about movies. So thank you so much for writing that in. I, ah, uh, listen, I can't see them taking it that far. But then again, take me saying that with a grain of salt that I couldn't see them bringing back Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire either seven months ago, right? So yes, I have a very hard time seeing them really going overboard and bringing Vulture and bringing Mysterio and bringing Sandman and bringing Craven. I have a hard time believing they'd go that far, but is anything off the table these days? Seriously, is anything off the table? I don't know that it is. So anyway, uh, thanks for writing that in, Chip. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, Simon Says writes, hey, John, I started watching you literally a week after the U.S. shutdown back in March, so after the pandemic started, and I've seen you pretty much every day since then. Well, thanks, Simon. We're glad you're here with us, man. You and your community inspired me to make a movie page on Instagram. It's just a hobby, but I'm enjoying it so far. Listen, Simon, I'm always encouraging people. Get involved in the fandom. If you're a big fan of TVs, movies, maybe a particular series or a particular franchise, get involved. Add your voice to the fan community. Do an Instagram page. That's a great thing to do, by the way. Very low maintenance. So you can do some really good things and build a community. Make an Instagram page. Write a blog. Do a podcast. Make a YouTube channel. I put up material trying to help people who want to get started in that because I believe the more people who add their voices to the community, the better the community is. And I think that's great that you do that, Simon. And thank you for being a part of our community, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, Simon says, two of two. I also just finished my first semester as a senior biology major in college. I took classes like immunology, physics, and chemistry. And of course, my personal favorite, the Campia classroom. It's all about the camp. Even the university people, they got to take the Campia classroom. So I, I guess it's safe to say, like with your taking, we'll call you a scientist, Simon. You are a scientist in making. Maybe one day you'll become the next supervillain. That's how it starts, right? They're always science nerds. They're either Peter Parker or they become a big villain. 
Are you Peter or are you uh, Octavius? Let us know, Simon. Let us know. All right, next up. Luke1234 writes, Since Universal and Warner Brothers are violating the theatrical window, could the theater sue them for loss of revenue? After all, wouldn't they be in contractual violation? No, and here's why. Theatrical window only has to be honored if they put their movie in the theaters. What happened? Every movie is negotiated on a film by film basis. So let's say Disney has Black Widow, right? And let's say there was no pandemic or anything like that. Disney will make their agreement with the theatrical chains to put their movie in their theaters. In exchange, as a part of their signed agreement, they have to agree that Black Widow will respect the theatrical window of roughly three months before it's made available on other platforms, streaming, physical media, whatever. However, no such deal was made for Black Widow. No such deal was made for Soul. So Disney taking Soul and putting it straight onto Disney Plus, that's not violating any agreement. The theatrical window is not a law. The theatrical window is a case-by-case, individually negotiated contract between studios and theaters, a provision in those contracts that the studios traditionally have insisted upon. So, um, you know, uh, Warner Brothers can simply say now to the theaters, look, we are putting Wonder Woman 84 on HBO Max. That's what we're doing. So just so you movie theaters know, we are not going to sign any agreement with you to exhibit our movies in your theaters. That includes a theatrical window clause. Just so you know, we will not sign any such deal. Now it's up to the individual theaters to say, fine, we'll, we'll play Wonder Woman and we won't put a, a theatrical window clause in the contract. Or they can say, no, we're not going to play your movie in our theaters if you're not going to include the theatrical window clause in the contract. So it's important to understand that. There's no one general law out there. There's no law that says there, there is a theatrical window and studios have to recognize it. There's no such law. It's an individual case-by-case clause that is put into the exhibition contracts of each film. And they can either put them in a contract for a movie or they cannot and uh, deal with it from there. But yes, to answer the question though, if Disney put Warner, put Black Widow on say like AMC screens and signed the contract that had the theatrical window clause in the contract that says, okay, we're going to show your movie on our screens, but you got to respect the 90 day window. And Disney says, yep, we'll sign that. That's the deal contract. And then one week later, they put Black Widow on uh, on Disney Plus. Then they could be held liable. Then AMC could probably take them to court for breach of contract. But that's not the situation that we're in. So actually, no, they're all covered. They're all, hopefully, I didn't make that more confusing. I, hopefully, I cleared that up. All right. Loverboy writes, films I liked when I was younger, but I hate as an adult in no order. Cat in the Hat. Ooh, I never did like that one. Transformers 2, never liked that one. Rock of Ages, never liked that one either. Christmas to the Cranks, also never really liked that one. Masters of Disguise, man, I love Dana, but I never did like that. Turtle, I never liked that one. Uh, Rocket Man 1997 and Phantom Menace. Any of these stand out to you aside from episode one? No, I, I never actually liked any of those, as a matter of fact. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong to have never liked any of those. But just as a matter of fact, I, I never did like any of those. That's an interesting list. Oh, man. It's too bad, too, because it was the first one that you know Dana 
what was actually breaking free from Saturday Night Live and from from Mike Myers, like he wasn't just going to be Garth anymore and really going to have his own film career. And it launched with Master of Disguise. Turtle. And that was always a really unfortunate thing. I've always wished he could have launched with another movie. Um, he could Maybe he could have been a big star uh, outside of Saturday Night He was always great on Saturday Night Live. All right, next up, we've got uh, another from Loverboy who writes, films I liked when I was younger. Oh, that's to say Loverboy liked the question so much he sent it in twice. All right, next up, Mischievous Gremlin writes, uh, hey, John and Rob, hope your day is going well. I it literally is crazy how all this news is coming out for the new Spider-Man movie and Tom Holland isn't spoiling it or, or is he, I'm looking at you, you Tom. Yeah. Listen, of course, Tom Holland developed a pretty bad rep for having very, very loose lips, but I think all that has probably led to him being the most tight lipped guy in Hollywood. He made his mistakes. He probably got a lot of there were probably consequences as a result of that from the studios. But as a result of that, I think he probably learned his lesson and I doubt we'll ever hear him accidentally leak something again. I think when you have an experience like what Tom Holland had, I think it'll make you the most cautious person in the world. Um, also, seriously though, do you think Sony is pissed about all this news coming out for Spider-Man three, or do you think they plan to give it to fans for something to look forward to after this crappy year? No, I don't listen. At some point, Sony was going to announce Garfield and Maguire in the movie, if, if they indeed are. Because there is no way, mark my words, there is no way in holy hell that they would have Garfield and Maguire in this movie and not use that in the marketing. You bet your, it doesn't matter if Garfield and Maguire are only in the movie for five minutes. They will be in two minutes of the two minute and 30 second trailer. Sony will market the hell out of the fact that these guys are in it because it will generate excitement and sell tickets. If Sony is indeed planning on releasing it theatrically, which I believe Sony still is. Remember, Disney doesn't get a say in this. Sony is the distributor. They'll decide what happens in this movie. So I don't think they meant for the news to come out now. But it was going to come out. Sony, there's no way. There is no way on earth Sony would not. If McGuire and Garfield are in this movie, there is no way in hell that they're not going to be featured in the trailers. Of course, they're going to be featured in the trailers. Of course they are. It's one of the selling, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest selling feature of the movie for a lot of people. So yeah, I definitely think that's, that's going to happen. Uh, all right, next up. Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John Rob, I was wondering if any of you have seen the trailer for the newest Korean horror series coming out in December called Sweet Home. It's based on the adaptation of the same titled, uh, of the same titled webtoon. I have, nope, never even heard of it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a Netflix thing since I've never heard of it. It looks very creepy and I suggest checking out, uh, checking that trailer out if you get the chance. I'm a big horror fan and I am now into checking out a bunch of Korean horror type films slash, listen, the Koreans have always done horror great. There's something about the, the the filmmaking community in Korea that has always just had its finger on the pulse of making some great horror thriller stuff. They have always been fantastic at it. And so while I've never even heard of this particular thing, again, I'm just assuming it's on Netflix because Netflix does a terrible job of promoting stuff that's coming out on their service. But I've not heard of it. But thank you for putting it on my radar, Casey, because I'm going to want to check that out. I'm definitely, I th it sounds really cool. So I'm definitely going to want to check it out. I just haven't heard of it before. All right, next up. 
Ryan Loner writes, one of the greatest movie trailers ever that no one ever talks about is Dr. Strangelove. Just the way they say the title is a piece of art in itself. Just going to mention, Ryan, you might want to check out a little documentary I did called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Um, they might, you might see some reference to that Dr. Strangelove trailer. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. I'm just saying there might actually be uh, some, uh, some love given to that trailer in my uh, uh, movie trailers love story thing. Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. But yeah, it's a bonkers trailer. That's one of the, the most uh, game-changing trailers ever made was the Dr. Dr. Strangelove. Uh, drunk Campia writes, Hey, Sober Campia, sorry about yesterday's video. I was a bit drunk. I said things like hair shop instead of hairdresser and pronounced nuclear as nuclear. Um, nuclear, uh, whatever, uh, which is an actual way of pronouncing it, but no one on earth ever does. I'm going back to bed. Uh, I've no, a lot, I've heard a lot of like hair shops. A lot of people call me like call them barber shops, hair salons, uh, hairdressers, hair. I, I, there's tons of ways to say it. All right. That's not a Canadian thing. I've heard lots of Americans say that too. Uh, Jasser writes, don't you think the deal Warner brothers made with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot for wonder woman 84 is unfair to smaller movies that make more than it projected. Like the Joker, for example, no one predicted it would make a billion dollars at the box office. It's, it just is what it is. Right. A lot of times you just have to make your best guesstimates and have both sides come to an agreement on what a fair guesstimate is. That's why I really I liked the uh, the billion dollar mark. I think the billion dollar projection for Wonder Woman was fair. It could have been a little bit more. It could have made a little bit less. But I think they probably negotiated with each other about what would a good reasonable number be. And they came to a billion dollars. Listen. 95% of the time, a movie makes what they guess it's going to make, all right? The reason we talk so much about the results of Joker is because it was so unusual, right? The reason we talk so much about the, the blockbuster that Deadpool turned into was because it was very unusual and unexpected. But 95% of the movies usually make roughly what the studios expected it would make. Sometimes more, sometimes less. But again, 90 to 95% of the time, it's usually right. It falls right in where they kind of expected it to be. So otherwise, what, what do you have to go on? Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot made a deal with Warner Brothers that included bonuses based on box office results. And that was done in good faith, believing that their movie was going to be in a full theatrical release. You can't just throw that away. So Warner Brothers had to negotiate with them. I, I understand that. The problem is they didn't apply that same measure of fairness to all the other movies other than the witches. They did the same thing for the witches, the Anne Hathaway movie. And obviously it wasn't valued at a billion dollars. It was valued at much less, understandably. But they didn't do that same bit of fair calculation for the all the other movies. That's the part that's unfair. It, I consider it fair what they did with Wonder Woman for Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. I think it's unfair what they did to everybody else that they didn't give them the same consideration. They treated their kids differently. And, and I think that was a mistake on their part. I really do. All right, next up. Brazilian Dude writes, one of three. 
Hey, John, first time writing in and big fan since 2013. Thank you so much, Brazilian dude. Uh, absolutely love your show. Thank you for all the hard work you put in every day for us. When I look at HBO Max's lineup for next year, I am speechless. No other streaming service has this many big budget movies released per year. And I also do not think this is a one year plan, meaning huge movies like the Batman, Fantastic Beast 3, The Flash and Aquaman 2 could also drop on HBO Max. Will Disney Plus be forced to show Warner's strategy? So far, has proven to be more important than any new content for Disney+. Plus. Do you expect Eternal, Shang-Chi, Thor 4 to drop simultaneously on the streaming service, or will the transition period towards this model take longer? Thanks, and keep on the filthy. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Brazilian dude. Look, what I said before was, when we talked about the story about Warner Brothers saying, this is just for one year, I said, <coughs> bullshit. Yeah, no way. They don't. Warner Brothers has no intention. AT&T, Warner Brothers, HBO Max, it's all the same thing. They have no intention of only doing this for one year. They have no intention of that. Something cataclysmically awful would have to happen for them to go back on this. They, they, it's not for one year. They can say it's for one year all they want, but it's not for one year. They want this to be their new model. And here's the thing. They are counting on the fact that by going a full year, all of 2021, without putting any of their movies in theaters, the movie theater chains are going to die. So there's not going to be any movie theater chains to put their movies out in 2022. What is Disney? Disney's not going to be affected in any way. Listen, right now, Warner Brothers and HBO Max is playing catch up to Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus has only been out for a year, and they've already lapped, like literally more than twice, the number of subscribers that HBO and HBO Max has. So Disney is not going to react to anything Warner Brothers does. Disney's just going to do its own thing. And we're going to get a much better picture, Brazilian dude. Come on, tell me, Aussie, is this Hoist Gracie? Come on, come on. Whenever somebody tells me they're from Brazil, I just secretly hope it's Hoist Gracie. Obviously, you're not Hoist Gracie. But um, obviously, uh, we're going to find out and get a much clearer picture tomorrow. Once Disney has that investor's call, we are going to get a much better picture about what Disney's plans for 2021 are. I believe some things are going to move to Disney+. Plus. I don't think it's going to be everything. I think they are going to announce a few movies that are still going to be theatrical. But uh, we'll see. I won't be surprised. In this year, man, in 2020, I am surprised by nothing. <laughs> I'm going to be surprised by nothing. I can guess what will happen. But again, tomorrow we will know. And uh, we'll see how things go then. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Brazilian dude. And thanks for being here as a part of our community. All right. El Postino, the postman, writes, John, your film is the best American documentary since 1994's Hoop Dreams, but since it premiered on a streaming service, it is still eligible for an Oscar, or will you have to settle for an Emmy? Admiral Ozzel was a spy, uh, Il Postino the Postman. <laughs> you failed me for the last time, Admiral. Um, yeah, I believe this year, my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, would qualify not in normal years, but this year it would under the, the, the provisional rules for this year and this year alone, I believe my documentary would qualify for contention for the Oscars. The only thing that is stopping my movie, uh, from being, uh, in contention for the best documentary Oscar. The only thing that is preventing my movie from doing that is the fact that my movie is not good enough to be an Oscar contending movie. I'm just being real. Like, come on, I'm just being real. Don't get me wrong. I love my movie. 
I love what we did with this documentary. And I think film fans will find it very interesting. And we've already been hearing from thousands of you guys how, how much you've enjoyed it and how much you got out of it and how much you learned from it, as did I. But I'm not going to have any delusions of grandeur. My movie is not an Oscar caliber movie. It's, it's just not. So that's the part that's going to prevent it. That's the part that's going to prevent it. But thank you for the kind words, El Postino. All right. We're going a little over time because we started a little bit late. So we'll get in a couple more questions before we wrap up today. Uh, let's see here. Uh, ZMG ruler writes, I think the best option for Warner brothers is to make an agreement with the filmmakers to make the simultaneously HBO max theatrical 2020 releases optional, either allow the production companies to delay the films more or agree to Warner brothers terms. What do you think? No, the, the, because they're not the ones losing money. Warner brothers is the exhibitor, sorry, the distributor AMC and Regal are the exhibitors. Warner brothers is the distributor of these films. That means it is their decision as to where and when you don't go to people who have no idea about how to distribute films and let them decide how you're going to distribute your film. Right. Um, it's a different business sense. So no, you don't go. You listen, this is all a part of Warner brothers overall plan for the future of their company. They're not going to go to some individual filmmaker and say, here, you, you have a say as to the overall direction of our company. They made a decision. Look, I don't take issue with the fact, I mean, I'm not happy about it. I don't like their decision to take all of their 2021 films and put it on HBO Max, but I'm okay with it. It's within their rights. It is their prerogative to make that decision, and I don't take issue with it. I, I don't like it, but I don't take issue with it. The only thing that was a real problem was that they did it unilaterally without talking to anybody and that without even giving a heads up. And that left a lot of people very pissed off and it might lead to lawsuits. It might lead to some boycotts. We don't know. These are all worst case scenarios, but uh, we'll see as, as time progresses. All right. Next up, uh, Eric Lynch writes, Hey, John and Rob, one of two. I hate that Wonder Woman 84 isn't probably going to make a lot of money at the box office due to it being on HBO Max and in theaters on the same day. Do you think that in the future, maybe five to 10 years, if the movie theaters do survive, uh, do you think people will forget about COVID and discredit the greatness of the film based on the box office? As to some people, a movie, especially a blockbuster movie like Wonder Woman 84, has to make a certain amount of money for some, uh, for some kind of relevancy. Uh, no, I, I don't think so for two different reasons. Um, reason number one is that the world is not going to forget about the global pandemic. And I think everybody five, 10 years from now will always know that all the movies that came out in this period of time came out in a period of time of a pandemic and no one's going to, this isn't some local, small regional story. This is a global phenomenon that no one's going to forget about. So I think everybody will always know not to consider box office dollars when it comes to films that came out in 2020 or early 2021. The second thing is there are a lot of greatly, highly revered movies that didn't do great at the box office when they first came out. I mean, look at the, the acclaim that Shawshank Redemption got, right? Shawshank Redemption flopped. Um, Shawshank Redemption uh, box office. Shawshank Redemption did not do well at the box office. It made under $60 million at the box office worldwide. It made under $60 million worldwide. It is one of the greatest motion pictures of all time. 
I, I just don't want to have a discussion with you if you don't put it in the top 10. All film is subjective, obviously. But I'm saying, I'm not even going to talk to you if you don't have Shawshank Redemption in your top 10. It is one of the greatest motion pictures ever made. Ever made. San Juanejo. It is one of the greatest pictures ever made. Um, by the way, can I just give a shout out to everybody? Uh, I was not expecting this type of uh, reception. Uh, those of you who like a fan of peanuts just did uh, super chat stickering in 20, 20 bucks. Guys, thank you so much for, for participating in this uh, adopt a family thing with me. Seriously. I, I don't have the time to see her and call you out one by one by name. Um, but seriously, uh, TLC AZ, thank you so much to all of you guys. Seriously, deep, 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 deep. Thank you from me to you uh, for helping make uh, another family's Christmas is going to be great because of you guys. So thank you for that. Uh, just just wanted to throw that out there. Um, anyway, so no, I, I don't think anybody's going to look back historically at Wonder Woman 84 and make any sort of judgments based on what it did at the box office. I think we'll all remember it. Plus, I'm not even sure box office is going to be a thing five to 10 years from now. So there's that to consider too, Eric. All right, next up, we got Jesse C who writes, part one, the Jedi that shows up is young Kylo. Mm, he would be real young, like four years old. So no, I don't think it's going to be Kylo. The, the Jedi that shows up is young Kylo. Luke sends him to see what Jedi made it to the rock. Kylo then helps Mando retrieve Grogu by helping him defeat Moff, Moff Gideon and dark troopers. And because of that, the empire now knows who Kylo is and his lineage. Yeah. Remember the events of Mandalorian take place four to five years after the events of return of the Jedi. As of return of the Jedi, Leia's not pregnant. So let's say Han and Leia knock boots on Endor the night of the big Ewokian celebration. They sneak off into the forest, bump some uglies, and she gets pregnant that night. Okay? That night. Let's go earliest, earliest case scenario. So nine months, so let's just for argument's sake say a year later, she has Kylo. Kylo would be five years old or four, depending on which time frame you're talking about. Four or five years old. So, um, yeah, I don't, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not Kylo that shows up. I love where your head's at. I love where your head's at with that. I, I really do. But uh, yeah, it's probably not going to be Kylo. Uh, unless he's going to be, I've come to help you, whoever you are. Luke would have to be arrested for child endangerment, sending a, a four-year-old child off running around the galaxy like that. Uh, part two. So the test subjects, they're creating Snoke. Uh, they finish creating him, but use the extra blood from Grogu, and they make Kylo their new mission and try to get him to come to the dark side. Since the Force awakens, Leah said it was Snoke who turned him. True, but he had to be older than that. He had to be. Remember, he didn't turn till much, much later. We saw the flashback in uh, the Last Jedi, right? So, yeah, just the, the time doesn't line up, Jesse. Unfortunately, I like where your your line of thinking is. Just that the timeline doesn't add up. All right, Caleb writes. Hey, John and Co. Rob called the Ahsoka episode of Mandalorian a backdoor pilot for a spinoff. I was wondering if you could explain what he meant by that, and do you agree with him that the episode was one? I I don't know. Like, so what you what you hear the term backdoor pilot, right? Like, so a lot of people thought that um, Blade 3 was really a backdoor launching point 
for the Ryan Reynolds. What were they called? The Night Stalkers? Is that what the name of it was when he played Hannibal King? That Blade 3 was essentially just a launching point. It was a backdoor pilot really for that. Um, one of the Incredible Hulk TV movies uh, that they did like 30 years ago when Hulk Dr. Banner meets Thor. Remember that? Remember that? If you guys don't remember that, go look it up. It was a thing of legend. So it's the Lou Ferrigno Thor or the Lou Ferrigno Hulk. And they this was after the TV series. They did a couple of uh, made-for-TV movies with uh, Lou Ferrigno's Hulk. And he meets Thor, right? He meets Thor. And he teams up with Thor to uh, beat, I believe, no, no, it's the one. He also teams up with Daredevil in one to beat uh, Jonathan Rice Davies, the guy who plays uh, uh, the dwarf in Lord of the Rings and Sala in in uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He plays Kingpin. He plays Kingpin in this one of these straight to TV Hulk mini movies. Anyway, in one of the early ones, he teams up with Thor. That was meant to be a backdoor pilot to get the audience introduced to and the idea of this Thor character. And they were going to do a Thor spinoff series. Never happened, though. And it never did happen. So when you hear the term backdoor pilot, what they're saying is that these characters, whichever characters you're talking about, were introduced in this show specifically to test with the audience and to introduce the audience to this concept because they plan on making it its own series. We know Bob Iger said last year that they are going to do a couple of Mandalorian spinoff series. He, Bob Iger said that a year ago. Which characters will get it? I don't know. Um, will it be the Marshall? Will it be Cobb from, from episode one of this season? Maybe. Will Carl Weathers get his own spinoff series? Maybe. Uh, will Bo-Katan get her own spinoff series? Maybe. Will it be Ahsoka Tano? Maybe. There's arguments to be made for it, for sure. I, I still don't know which it'll be, and I don't know how quickly they'll want to move on that. But Ahsoka is as a possibility, especially if you've got Rosario Dawson playing her. That's as much of a possibility as any others on the table. So it's certainly possible. All right. Uh, just two more guys. And we got to call it today. We've gone way over time today. David B writes, loved your movie. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate that, man. Uh, but had a weird experience. A lot of the people in it are people I have seen for years on your show, Collider or Schmodown, etc. It was like seeing a family members or a friend on the big screen was just a strange fe feeling. Great movie. Yeah, I was, I mean, here's the thing in making my movie. Um, I wanted to talk to people who make trailers, people who direct the movies that you make trailers out of, writers of the movies. I wanted trailer reactors. I wanted film pundits in general. I wanted a wide range. And it, I'm very lucky that I happen to know a lot. Now, there's an, also a lot of people in my movie that I had never met before, right? Like Ashley Miller, uh, the writer of movies like uh, Thor with Chris Hemsworth. Uh, he also wrote X-Men First Class. Uh, he also wrote a, a number of other things. I had never met him before. Um, or the people who make the trailers, like the, the presidents of the comp of the oldest running trailer company in the business. I had never met them before. Like there's a number of people in the movie I've never met, but I was also very lucky that uh, a number of people I already knew. And there were people I could reach out to who I knew would have a voice 
and something unique to add to this, like uh, the great Scott Mance. You know, I love Scott. And he's worked in this industry for so long and covered this industry and covered trailers. And I knew having him would be a big part of it. So yeah, it was, to me, it's a really nice mix of people who I know, and you've seen through the different work I've done over the years. And then also a mix of people that we'd never seen before in anything that I do. So anyway, thank you so much for checking out the movie, David. I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. Tyson writes. Over under 31%, we see a live action Miles Morales in Spider-Man 3. Uh, would you like to see Miles in there or is it too similar uh, to Into the Spider-Verse? I'm going to go under 31%, but I ain't going to say 5%. I think it's more than 5%, but I wouldn't go 31%. Personally, no, I'm not interested in that because I like Miles Morales exactly where he is right now. Again, that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse animated movie is the best comic book movie to me since Logan. And I include Endgame. I include Infinity War. I include, uh, yeah, it is to me, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best comic book movie since Logan, period. I, I really think that highly of it. And so because I like that iteration of Miles Morales so much, I want to, I want them to protect that Miles Morales. I don't want them to take any risks of damaging the character. And so I love him where he is. And I hope they, I hope they keep him in that format for now. So that's, that's just where I'm at. All right. I said last one, but this will be the last one that we do today. All right. Uh, David writes, Hey John, I had a question regarding actors and vaccines. Can a film or show require actors to have the COVID vaccination? And if not, is that something you could see impact the ones that are openly against vaccinations from landing high profile jobs? That's a good question. Now, I am not an expert on American law. I mean, the American legal system and the Canadian legal system are based on the same uh, tenets. They, they really are. They're, the Canadian and American systems are actually very, very similar in many ways with some very stark differences. But I'm not an expert in, in uh, particularly American labor law. Here's my guess, though. My guess is if you are citing the safety of your employees, I believe studios would probably have the right. And again, this is just me guessing. I'm not an expert on this at all. This is just me guessing. If the motivation is the protection of your employees, I believe the studios could, my guess would be that they could require anybody who's going to work on this movie or be on this set has to have their vaccination card. They have because, you know, the government's going to give you a card that shows that you got vaccinated and that's going to be important for the next year because, you know, you want to get on a cruise ship. You got to show that you've been vaccinated, you know, things like because we can't put all of our other passengers at risk. Now, is it a good thing to do? Is it a bad thing to do? That's a totally separate question. I'm just trying to think along the lines of would they have the right to do it? And I'm guessing probably yes. If they're going to make a movie, I think they would probably have the right to say, if you want to come and work on this movie, that's your choice. If you want to come work on this movie, that's your choice. Just understand that one of the requirements of this movie is that people who come on set have to have a vaccination card. They have to have been vaccinated. It's really no different than saying, if you want to come on this work site, you have to have steel toed work boots. That is an absolute requirement. You cannot come on our work site without the proper safety helmet. You can't come on our work site without proper safety boots. I worked in construction for a bunch of years. So believe me, I know this very well. Um, it wouldn't be all that different from saying, listen, there is a, 
um, a danger out there that threatens the health of individuals. We want to protect our set and we want to protect our investment because listen, if a movie set is an expensive thing, man, when a movie set gets shuts down, that costs the studios hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in lost time. So studios are going to want to protect their investment. If a studio got shut down, if a set got shut down because somebody on set got diagnosed with COVID, it would cost them minimum hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. So if they can make a case that we are for the for the in the interest of protecting the health and well-being of our employees and in the interest of protecting our investment, this is our business. We are going to require people who want to come and work on this project to take a vaccination. Now, that's different from a regular work environment. I don't know how it would work in a regular work environment. Like, let's say you work at an accounting agency and you've already worked there for five years. Can they come in and create a new prerequisite that wasn't there before? I don't know. But a, a working on an individual movie is a movie-by-movie movie basis, right? So you would only get the job if you agree in advance to do it. Again, I'm not sure, but that's my guess about how they would work it out. That is my guess how they would work it out. All right, guys, listen, there are still lots of questions to come. So we will make sure we get through a whole ton tomorrow. But for everybody who still we still had to come from Russell Amador, Campy the Goat, On Hold, Ryan Loner, Joshua, uh, Joshua Mickle, and everybody else after that, do not worry. We will start off tomorrow's. Um, we will start off tomorrow's live question show. We will start off at this point. If you sent in those questions today, I'm sorry we didn't get around to them today, but they will all be answered by the end of the show tomorrow. I promise we'll get through them all tomorrow. And uh, yeah, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. And a special thank you to all you guys who did send in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you very much for that. And a super deep, heartfelt gratitude and thank you to all of you guys who sent in the super stickers today so we can add that to the gift that we're going to be giving our adopted family for this Christmas. So seriously, guys, I, I, I was hoping to see a couple come in. You guys flooded it. So thank you so much. Uh, that is awesome, guys. I don't know what the total is. I'm going to have to go and, and look it up, but that was amazing what you guys did. Thank you so much for that. Remember, guys, do the four main important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and for the love of God, please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my film-loving brethren, Bye-bye.